0: Welcome to the first episode of the first full series of The Timeline where we look at a series, franchise, a patch of creative work and uh, we, we try and take it and put it into a realistic timeline of events uh, alongside everything else in existence. So for our first Pilot series. Uh, for those of you who listened, may remember we looked at Blade, the infamous Blade. The, the <laughs> infamous. That's what we'll call him from now on. <laughs> the infamous Blade. Um, and that was that was an alright series, wasn't it? We had fun making that. Um, but for the full series, we're going to have to go in with something a bit bigger and a bit longer. So we've, uh, after much deliberation, how much deliberation do you think it was? A fair amount. Fair amount. We're going with the infamous X-Men. <laughs> Does everything have to have a precursor? Yes. So, we'll, yes, uh, as you, as you've definitely underlined there, the infamous X-Men series is our our movie series. Movie okay. series. Yes. <laughs> no. We we're not going to look at every single comic book <laughs> that's ever been released or the car- the cartoons. So the the idea is we're going to look through all of the X-Men films in order uh, of release. With some possible exceptions, and uh, kind of pop them in place, talk about them, look at the 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 history around them as well a little bit. So, as makes sense, we'll be starting today with the original first X-Men. One, sort
1: of, sort of. Yeah, released in two thousand.
0: Yes. Now I feel old for saying that.
1: <laughs> because I remember that first film first coming on.
0: Yeah, is is weird being that we're starting to really talk about um, obviously he had a bit of it with Blade, but series where the nostalgia is really properly there now because that was Blade was known, but X Men was much bigger, wasn't it? And it's interesting to to see you know the effect it, it also had on on culture and the acceptance of comic book and superhero specifically it's like it is and it isn't a superhero movie but um, in the traditional sense Spider-Man's more the, the key one yeah but you know X-Men is there like for a long time X-Men ooh the window's going crazy yeah. one second Storm's outside <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know for a long time X-Men 2 was considered like up there as the best sort of comic book movie like of the superheroes, yeah, of elk. Yeah. and then you know you, you look at Spider Man Two, X man Two, and it's like Spider Man Two is overall both more comic booky, but less less kind of goofy. Yeah. At the same time, it's weird. Um, I think it's Sam Remy being the director for that helps because he's got a more unique sort of voice when it comes to you know shot choices and pacing and things like that. But we're not talking about Spider Man. <laughs> Um, so, yeah, the X-Men films had quite and continue to an extent to have quite a impact on, on comic book movies. So it felt like X-Men was going to be long enough to make a good series, um, but also kind of interesting and have a few things going on, but be relatively light and breezy. And then I remembered it's the X-Men. And that comes with a few things of its own. <laughs> so we're, we're going to we're gonna have a look at it. You remember exactly what it was like before we get into it, you know, when you saw the X-Men the first time, you know. How long ago was that for you? Was it on release or? I watched it on, I don't
1: think, I didn't watch it in the cinema, definitely. But I definitely watched it on release because I remember having the X-Men and I used to watch it all the time. And then one of the killers used to like the Storm part We get to the eventually, she says that thing about Toad. But then it, when I watched it again, I was like, Wait, this is not cool anymore, but... Hey! I remember watching X-Men 1.5 a lot as well. Because I think I watched this time, because it's like all extended.
0: Yes, so hey. that's that's an important thing to note. We'll note that in a minute, really. But the, the version I'm going from for the basic outline for the show is the PAL DVD um, general release cut. So uh, as we've noticed in the past... Uh, I looked at for a different thing, Alien versus Predator, and that first Alien versus Predator film in the UK was a different film than it was in America. Oh. So you can find that scenes may be missing, things are cut differently. Yeah. So take that into account. Is all I am saying. Um, Limit here. He's watched one point five recently.
1: I think I watched the one you
0: watched recently. Okay, we, we, we may see some, we see, if we see some differences. If you, if you what expect a scene to be in there <laughs> and I don't mention it, that's because, yeah. Um, one, it's because I was quite lazy with this one's <laughs> research because uh, I was short on time, but also um, because, you know, it just might not be in my version. So, okay, we'll get to that. Right, so as as mentioned, we we're talking about the X Men, so we should probably look at the, the general um, cast and crew for this. So. Uh, we'll get to some of the things around these people as well in more depth at some point, uh, especially during the series. We don't, we won't not talk about many of the actors and characters in this episode, because we will have more in depth things to talk about them in other episodes. Mm. We've got a lot of work to go through. Um, people often remember, um, and to an extent, rightly so. The the first film, as Wolverine Logan being the central character but he was just partly because of the cartoon partly because of his popularity in the comics you know the most popular character the most well recognized right. character but he's not the central linchpin of the story as he seems like he is there are a couple of scenes that kind of feed into that but we'll get to that as well so this this first film is the first one directed by brian singer or brian j singer Born September seventeenth, nineteen sixty-five, American director, producer, and writer of film and television, he's the founder of Bad Hat Harry Productions, and has produced or co-produced almost all of the films um, in in the series. Um, he, he's like producer on, I think, the the whole franchise. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, the screenplay, uh, David Hater. Of Melody, Solid Snake, solid. yeah, fame. He is credited in some places as a screen screenwriter, but he did not write the script. He came in. In you know, other people say that he came in and just did sort of some of the I'll work on it. Up. Now, because yeah. he was an assistant to Brian Singer at the time. No, yeah. um, but he. There, there are people saying. He says he had about fifty-five percent of his work in the script. Mm. Other people say he barely touched it. So um, you you take it with a pinch of salt. It (laughs) wouldn't surprise me because he has quite a bit of credit on the second film. And you know what people are like in the movie industry. But uh, David Brian Hayter was born February 6th, 1969. He's a Canadian-American actor, voice actor, screenwriter, director and producer. He's well known as the English language voice actor for the Solid Snake and Naked Snake in the Metal Gear video game series. He also co-wrote Watchmen, the film, uh, and was awarded the Saturn Award for Best Writing in 2000 for his work on X-Men. So he did get awarded for it. Uh, For the main cast, we have, as Professor Charles Xavier, or Professor X, Sir Patrick Stewart OBE, born 13th of July, 1940, He's obviously an English actor, director and producer whose work has included roles on stage, television film in a career spanning six decades. He has been nominated for Olivier Award, Golden Globe, Emmy, 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 (laughs) the Enemy Award, uh, Screen Screen Actors Guild and Saturn Awards. Uh, Beginning his career with a long run with the Royal Shakespeare Company, Stewart received the 1979 Laurence Olivier Award for Best Actor and Supporting Role for his performance in Anthony and Cleopatra in the West End. Stewart's first major screen roles were in the BBC broadcast television productions during the mid 1970s, including Hedda and the I Claudius miniseries. From 1980s onward, Stuart began working uh, in American television film with prominent leading roles, such as Captain Jean-Luc Picard in Star Trek, The Next Generation and its subsequent films, and in 2020, Star Trek Picard, obviously, as Professor Charles Xavier, obviously, Um, and he's been a number of other things, like uh, voice work in American Dad, and uh, he narrates the Ted movie. Um, uh, a few other things. Um, uh, Where well we uh, in 1993, he was named Best Dramatic Actor on Television of the 80s. Uh, he received a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame on 16th December 1996, and he was knighted by Queen Elizabeth II for services to drama in 2010. Uh, I think we can skip the b- the bulk of it, <laughs> but he he's also you'll see have seen him as uh, Vladimir Lenin in Fall of Eagles. Um, he, obviously we mentioned I Claudius. He he was Carla in Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy and Smiley's People, the TV series. Never watched them. Never watched them. Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, the film is quite worth time. But I've never sat down yes. the series either. Um, you know, then books and stories are you know well regarded, and uh, we'll skip that. But he's also been in, uh, you know, He was in *The Excalibur* that. in 1981. He was in David Lynch's *Dune* quite famously in '84. He was in Toby Hooper's *Life Force* in 1985. Um, he's done things since, more things since. But we're kind of focusing more on the pre-X-Men uh, period because we can talk about anything. Post X Men. Mm-hmm. Once he's, we will tend to talk about them after they've left the series. Yeah. If we we want to cover what they've done since, um, as Eric Lashur or Lansher, depends on how people pronounce it, or Magneto, Sir Ian ha- uh, Ian Murray McKellen, C H C B E. Um, he's done. He's got. He's got them all. He's got the full set. Okay. He was born in twenty uh, fifth May nineteen thirty nine. He's an English actor, his career spans genres <laughs> ranging from Shakespearean to modern theatre to uh, popular fantasy and science fiction, obviously. Uh, he's a recipient of six Loven- Laurence Olivier Awards, a Tony Award, a Glo- Golden Globe Award, <laughs> Screen Actors Guild Award, a BIF Award, two Saturn Awards, four Drama Desk Awards and two Critics Choice Awards. He also received nominations for two Academy Awards, five primetime Emmy Awards and four BAFTAs.
1: <laughs> He's quite all.
0: Yeah. He's done it all. <laughs> uh, he he was famous for film roles like uh uh King Richard the Third in Richard the Third in nineteen ninety five. Um he was in Gods and Monsters in nineteen ninety eight, Magneto in the X Men films. You might know him from uh, a fantasy film series about some sort of ring You shall not uh, pass Yeah, he, <laughs> he, you cannot pass through my ring whatever it is um, uh, he, he started his professional career in 1961 at the Belgrade Theatre as a member of the highly regarded repertory company uh, uh, He was knighted in 1991 in New Year's Honours for services to the performing arts Um he's been openly gay since nineteen eighty eight and continues to be a champion for l g b t social movements worldwide um uh he other supporting roles and interesting stuff he was in six degrees of separation in uh, nineteen ninety three uh he was also in the film last action hero as the voice of death oh <laughs> so yeah there you go a little little fact for you um but yes, a, a lot of a lot of stuff done by those two gentlemen, and I didn't. I I was literally skimming over a lot of stuff there because it's just too much to take in. If you feel like, like
1: if you have seen them in one of the movies nowadays, you'd be like, "What? These people are like mm. massive." But back then, they were kind of still relatively mm. new. Like, but they're not. They're not young, but they're quite. They're not as big as they wrote
0: to it, It's American sort of perception yeah. and actual workload are two different things right so once something gets mainstream so oh that one (laughs) thing yeah as Logan or Wolverine Hugh Michael Jackman uh, was born 12th of October 1968 he's an Australian actor singer and producer he's best known for playing Wolverine uh, or Logan in the X-Men film series a role for which he holds a Guinness World Record for longest career as a live-action Marvel superhero. Oh, yeah. is weird. <laughs> he's recognised for these roles in a um, romantic comedy, Cate and Leopard. Uh, he was the main character of Van Helsing and Van Helsing. He was in The Prestige in 2006 and so forth. Obviously, this is going a bit far past our timeline, so we won't go into too much detail, but he, he's done a few things since. As Dr. Jean Grey, code name Jean Grey, mm-hmm. uh... Famke, I'm going to get her name so wrong because it's Dutch, uh, Famke Jensen, or Famke Boomer Jensen, not Boomer, <laughs> B, 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 U, B-E-U-M-E-R, so I, I won't hazard getting that wrong, insulting people. She uh, was noted for, uh, aside from being a model at some point, I think, if I remember rightly, yeah, fashion model. She also played Xena Ontrop in GoldenEye in 1995. Yeah, what's that film? <laughs> oh, I get it. Xena top She's on... Uh, <laughs> lol. Uh, as Aurora Monroe, or Storm, Halle Maria Berry... Legendary uh, actor. ...was born August 14th, 1966. Legendary for reasons that she probably doesn't want to be legendary for. She's, she's done some good work, don't let's not knock her. I
1: actually quite like I'm, I'm being serious, I actually quite mm, like her. Yeah. <laughs> she's
0: also done some stuff. But, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, is uh, an American actress. She began her career as a model and entered several beauty contests, finishing as the first runner up in the Miss USA pageant and coming in sixth in the Miss World pageant 1986. Oh. Um, her breakthrough film role was in the romantic comedy Boomerang. In 1992, but she was also in The Flintstones in '94 and Bullworth in
1: '98. I won't watching The Flintstones, but I I know. Um, uh,
0: Shortly after being in this film, she won the Academy Award for Best Actress for her performance in the romantic drama film Monsters Ball.
1: I think I've seen that, maybe.
0: (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot. You, You skim through this cast, and on the whole, the they're all top tier, yeah. proper, like, actors, actors, you know. Or they come into the... and It's fascinating, because you see some of the people who are up for roles in this as well, turned it down, oh. who, who were up for these roles already, and you're like, they wouldn't be appropriate, or they're, like, even more... <laughs> how would they think they were going to get them, you know. As Rogue, or Marie, I think she's called, oh, yeah. if I remember rightly. Anna Helene Baquin, Banquin. Packwin. Um Packwin. It's mm. written down here. Uh, born 24 July. I do have now like the the th- 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 frenetic sort of writing and it's still not helping. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, she's born 24th of July 1982 and is a New Zealand Canadian actress. She was born in Winnipeg, Manitoba mm. and brought up in Wellington, New Zealand before moving to Los Angeles during her youth.
1: Like a triangle, she thought.
0: Mm. (laughs) As a child, she played the role of Flora McGrath in Jane Campion's romantic drama film The Piano in 1993. Despite having had little acting experience, for her performance she garnered critical acclaim and won Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress at the age of 11, making her the second youngest winner in Oscar history. (laughs) You see what I mean? Actress. Um, she had roles in Fly Away Home, that one with all the the ducks or swans or whatever it is. Never seen it. Yeah, uh, it, you know you'd have loved it when you were younger. Uh, <laughs> uh, the Member of the Wedding and A Walk on the Moon in 1999 and was nominated for the Screen Actors Guild Award for Outstanding Performance by a Cast in a Motion Picture for appearing in Cameron Crowe's comedy drama film Almost Famous. In 2000, the same year as X-Men. Never seen that either. Mm, You should try and see that. People rave about it. Um, As Scott Summers, Cyclops, James Paul Marston, born September 18th, 1973, is an American actor, singer, and form model. Marston began his acting career guest starring in television shows Saved by the Bell, The New Class. I've seen Saved by the Bell. The New Class, though. Oh, wow. Nobody saw that one maybe Touched by an Angel in 1995 and Party of Five in 1995 as well seen any of those two? You know, Party of Five was pretty big Touched by an Angel was everywhere but <laughs> you'd have to be a certain type of person to watch that show I think <laughs> um, if you hadn't guessed it's about angels I could guess it's not just a. by Angel it's not just a title it's literally about angels uh, he gained prominence in the early 2000s with his portrayal of Scott Summers in the X-Men series. So, you know, this is his sort of launching pad, really. He'd done stuff before, but he's alright. <laughs> As Mystique, Rebecca remain Romain. Um, she's Dutch, so, again, sometimes you just don't know where somebody's you know, name is from. Um, you wouldn't know she was Dutch from her accent. No. Um, born November 6, 1972, is an American actress and former model.
1: Not these former models, aren't they? This is
0: obviously, again, we're trying to stick to just what's before oh, yeah. the film. So forgive me if I've left anything out. As Sabretooth, Darryl Carolat. I hope I've got that right, Darryl, because you're quite big. Born on December 8th, 1966, is a Canadian character actor and retired professional wrestler, better known by the name Tyler Main. Tyler Main. <laughs> Tyler Mane. It's like you know at the back of your head, but you're not—you're not quite sure. No, I'm not quite sure. I'm gonna have to, gonna have to Google him after this. Libert's the the, rest, the more wrestling guy than I am. I I watch a lot of it, but you kind of—I'm oh, shaking the desk there. Take <laughs> it.
1: I'll, I'm gonna Google him He's afterwards. a very
0: big man, so it doesn't make sense, right? Does not make sense. He uh because he's not gonna be in the films again. Spoilers. <laughs> he's he doesn't play the character again. He's uh in Rob Zombie's Halloween remakes, the first and the second one. As the shape or Michael Myers. So he's the big oh. Yeah. There you go. That makes sense. And he's done a few other bits and pieces since this.
1: I feel like they kind of butchered his character in this film we'll get onto it but yeah yeah <laughs> say what he wasn't was it a cool character in his X-Men film yeah the, the,
0: <laughs> the villains in this film are more classical comic book cartoony yeah. villains which is the one element that kind of feels out of place I think the most out of place after this he would also go on to play Ajax in Troy as well as the Michael Myers sort of role Uh, A senator, Robert Kelly, is Bruce Davidson, born June 28th, 1946. He's an American actor and director of television, film, and theatre. He's actually much younger looking than Patrick Stewart, but he's only a few years younger. Well, uh, I like to
1: see him both now. I bet (laughs) Patrick Stewart
0: doesn't look that different, like you (laughs) said earlier. (laughs) When we were talking about him, he's aged. he, He doesn't look too bad for all his age because of his look. Yeah um del davidson is well known for the starring role as william styles in the cult horror film willard which was remade a few years ago um but he like the the uh willard film is about a guy who has a her like a mess of rats no oh. yeah um I don't, anyway.
1: know, don't do horror really, thing,
0: yeah, you should watch them films all right. uh, The Academy Award nominated And Golden Go Gold performing uh, Winning performance in Longtime Companion And as Thomas Semmes in the HBO Original movie Vendetta um, And lastly We get to Toad Raymond Ray Park Born 23rd of August 1974 Is a Scottish actor Author and martial artist oh. Even though you hear a sort of Almost London, actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's best known for playing the body of Darth Maul in Star Wars, episode one of The Phantom Menace. The body? <laughs> yeah, he's definitely not the voice. That's um, Peter Serra oh. Same, famously. Mm. The, the comedian. You know, Sean of the Dead. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sitting, sometimes I can't tell. It's like you're sitting there looking at me like... like I- does, <laughs> is, does he remember? Like, I've seen Sean the Dead once, but yeah, I know who he is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, He's everywhere, Peter, Peter Sarah Fandenberg. But he's not in this film. So we're not going to talk about him. Uh so the the key notable side characters, uh actors, the first appearance of Sean Ashmore as Bobby Drake or Iceman. Oh. So he's not like a key character, but he does he's got yeah. this role for life, more or less. No one likes Iceman in USO. nice man in this (laughs) Sean Robert Ash is more interesting than Cyclops and people really like Cyclops in some cases I hate hate Cyclops (laughs) spoiler alert I hate Cyclops we'll we'll get into this (laughs) Sean Robert Ashmore uh, born October 7th 1979 is a Canadian film and television actor and we will talk about him more when his time Mm -hmm. comes Uh, uh, the other ones to mention is Katrina Florence is the first actress in the series to play Jubilation Lee or Jubilee, um, actor one of one. So Jubilee tally is at one in the mm. series so far. It will go up. And uh, there's also a note that we have Alex Burton as John Alday, Dice, Dyke, uh, or Pyro, which would be easier. He's not important in this film because, but he's worth mentioning because the character does come back and is recast in the next film. Um, and our first official Stanley spotting takes place oh, yeah. uh, so we've got a Stanley tally of one in this film. um this is gonna be a long big tally by the time we get to the end of the eventual last Stanley cameo. uh we will go into the correct and appropriate detail for Mr. Stanley when the right time comes. We will not be talking about him here because he's also got enough of back history to take a while so what, was, it,
1: what was his first film that was in the cameo in?
0: was it Spider-Man or was it, <laughs> it he was definitely in the first Spider-Man yeah. but you, if you start counting all sorts of stuff
1: I mean uh, as in as in like I guess the
2: you Marvel universe the, like, the movie. The, uh,
0: Marvel, a Marvel movie would yeah. be probably the first Spider-Man like, oh, yeah, I'm gonna guess yeah I think yeah. It was X-Men before Spider-Man because I can't remember, I can't remember. <laughs> I know, like we'll, we'll know for sure <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't looking up Spider-Man so I I can't guarantee you. Um but obviously he used to host like the cartoons. Yeah, I don't mean I mean I he used to pop up in other things. I mean as as you, like pop on Marvel. He used the voice of like of Stan Lee in that video games and stuff like that, that first Spider-Man video game he's narrator yeah. as good, Stan Lee.
1: I guess in the first camera it would probably be the 2000 well, around it's even this was this Spider-Man.
0: And you know in this he's not Stan Lee right? but in Morats by Kevin Smith. He's playing Stan Lee. Does that count as the first cameo in a film? Or not? Because he comes back again as Stan Lee <laughs> in one of the Marvel films playing Stan Lee, I mean. reading the script to Maulwats. <laughs> it's all very confusing. This is going to get confusing. When I finally put up a proper timeline on a website somewhere, that's going to make us go mad. Anyway, uh, notable characters. So the the real key characters. There's, say, four that are important here. Um, like, because it's, it's an ensemble cast. We'll be here all day. Um, yeah, the first one is Professor X. course, oh, yeah. Uh, in the comics, uh, creators Stanley, previously mentioned, <laughs> and Jack Kirby, his first appearance was X-Men number one, September 1963. And if somebody can correct us on any of this, please do. Um, A.K.A. Charles Xavier his other aliases over the years have been Prisoner M13 mm. Onslaught Chuck Charlie The Good Shepherd uh, Bald Phoenix, Bald Phoenix. <laughs> Dr. X Proud Taskmaster Taskmaster X Charlie Boy Q-Ball Nathaniel Essex Sinister and uh, I can't pronounce that last one <laughs> Ashula uh-huh. Uh, Charles Francis Xavier was the mutant son Of a wealthy nuclear researcher Dr. Brian Xavier And his wife Sharon Xavier Marco uh, Charles' telepathic powers Began emerging when he was still a boy Around ten And as he grew older he learned to control them Due to the immense psychic energies Emanating from Charles's head He became bald at a young age hmm. So Canonically in the comics He's bald because he's got psychic powers that makes sense. To an extent. Worry, but, but, yeah. It's interesting. Uh, second key character is Magneto. In the comics, his creators are, again, Stanley, Jack Kirby. His first appearance was, again, X-Men number one, September 1963. So it's interesting to see that both characters are as old as each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got other alices, Uh A.K.A. His, his name is Max Eisenhardt because he's German, I think. Uh, oh, we'll get probably get to that in yeah. a minute. Other aliases, Magnus, Eric Magnus Leschier, Master of Magnetism, Auschwitz ID 24005, um, Retcon from 214782, so he's probably been down in different versions of the mm. universe with different uh, numbers branded on him. Uh, Michael Xavier, The Creator, Eric the Red, or Red, Grey King, White Pilgrim, King Eric Magnus, (laughs) Eric Le Mr. Sullivan, uh, Miraculous Magneto, Phantom Saboteur, The Leader, Master, and Merciless Magneto. Merciless Magneto. Just things people have called him over the years. Uh, Max was born and raised in Nuremberg, Germany. I knew I'd gotten that from somewhere. By a middle-class Jewish family, while attending a local school, he became attracted to a young Roman, Romani girl sorry, uh, named Magda, the daughter of a school cleaner. Max would do things such as create necklaces and excel in sporting events to gain her attention. While returning from school one day, Max encountered a Nazi rally found his uncle eric beaten and wearing the sign saying he had shamed a german woman as she was jewish and as he was jewish and she was not uh, not long after a school event max won a javelin competition to impress magda and the following day he was accused of cheating following the belief that a jewish boy could not exceed his classmates max was told to either give up his medal or recreate the throw with a regulation uh, javelin after winning the competition a second time, Max was there uh, again accused of cheating, expelled and beaten by the other children. Uh, he lived in the Jewish section of Warsaw where Nazis built the Warsaw ghetto in October 1940. His time in the ghetto moulded Max into a smuggler of food and supplies. When the Nazis started to deport ghetto inhabitants to Treblinka extermination camp. In 1942, Max and his family escaped from Warsaw. On the way to their hideout, they were captured by Nazi soldiers. As they were about to be executed, Jacob saved Max's life by pushing him out of the firing line without anyone noticing. The corpse and Max were buried in a mass grave. After being found, Max spent his early teens imprisoned at the, I'm not going to say it properly, but first shouldn't. Okay. Uh, extermination camp please forgive me for getting that wrong in Auschwitz, Poland the only member of his family to survive the holocaust Max was unable to access his mutant powers at puberty like most, due to a bout of hepatitis from working in the camp, most likely that's. this is me r- grabbing this from different places yeah. but um, that's what's surmised as his early years Obviously, we know generally what, what he does next. You know, There's too much history for Magneto and Xavier to go in too much depth. But it gives you an idea of their background. Senator Kelly, or Robert Kelly, in the comics. Sorry, I'm burping there. Another comic. group. The creators, are Chris Claremont and John Byrne. His first appearance was in X-Men 133 in May 1980. Uh, He dies in X-Men Volume 2, 108 in January 2001. He's a Republican senator for the state of Massachusetts. As a member of the U.S. Senate, Robert Kelly long regarded the growing number of mutants as a threat to national security. He cultivated a partnership with industrialist Sebastian Shaw, who supported Kelly's plans. Unknown to the senator, though, Shaw was a mutant and the black king of the Hellfire Club. All these things are obviously <laughs> going to come up later in the f- films, to an extent. Kelly was invited to a party at the club, and Mastermind created an illusion that caused him to believe Cyclops fired randomly into a crowd. Yeah. To cope with this supposed danger, he promoted legalisation, such as the Mu- Mutant Reg- Reg- Registration Act. I say that when you're not useless. <laughs> Uh, requiring these the those with powers of genetic origin to disclose their abilities to the government. This proposal prompted the Second Brotherhood of Mutants to attempt to ass- assassinate Kelly in Washington, D.C. The death of Kelly led to dystopian future in which Sentinels conquered the planet, otherwise known as Days of Future Past.
1: Great. Great little thing that was. It. Yeah. In a cartoon anyway.
0: Well, the, yeah, the, the, the comic is like... People think think it's quite a big storyline and you know, effect-wise it is, but in the comics it's like two episodes oh. or two issues. And that's it. And I think two, maybe three. I've never read it as the original, no. original comics because they're not that easy to come by. Our last key character is Rogue. Um, creators Chris Chris Claremont and Michael Golden. Her first appearance. Is in Avengers Annual. Speak properly. In Avengers Annual ten, in October nineteen eighty one. Okay, Anne Marie. Her other aliases have been Anna Raven, Anna Marie, Carol Danvers, Doctor Kellogg, Mutate nine six zero two, Scarlet O'Hara, Skunkhead, and Miss Smith. again, don't come at me if I've gotten any of those out of a bin somewhere. Her powers are to absorb life energy in the psyche of others with skin-to-skin contact. So her notable comic beats, and this is the important and interesting one, as Rogue was approached by Mystique, when quite young, who sought her out on the advice of her progenitive partner, Destiny. Mystique, ultimately took Rogue in as a daughter. In time, mystics turned Rogue's loneliness, envy, bitterness and despair into anger, thus re- recruiting her into the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, as they were known. The, that the evil part's dropped for the films. <laughs> in her it. first mission, Rogue encountered the superheroine Miss Marvel. Rogue and Miss Marvel fought, and through prolonged contact, during which Miss Marvel fought valiantly to retain her consciousness, Rogue absorbed Miss Marvel's alien based powers and memories permanently. Rogue gained Miss Marvel's incredible strength, near invulnerability, the power of flight, and a rarely used mild form of ESP, referred to as Seventh Sense, although this last ability has been largely forgotten. So, in future, should Marvel pick up the characters and use them relatively soon. There is potential there for something to happen between Rogue and Miss Marvel, or Carol Danvers, especially because Rogue takes the name at some point, Uh, mainly because she has her mind in her head, right? Oh, yes, yeah, you would. So that's the the key four characters, I think. You'd think we'd throw Wolverine in there, but in the future, he gets his own films. Yeah. So we have more than enough time <laughs> to talk about Wolverine. Um, any thoughts before we dive into the development history? No. Okay. <laughs> no thoughts at all. All right. So the X Men film history. Um, so it was directed. So this is going to get heavy. Okay. Directed by Brian J. Singer. X Men was his fourth big screen effort coming off. The Wildly Successful the Usual Suspects in 95. you seen The Usual Suspects? Maybe, but I don't remember.
1: I may have seen it, but...
0: I always intended to watch it at some point. People always rave about that film, but... Um, it's difficult to go, go and watch it psychologically, yeah. kind of like with... You were talking about Mulan earlier. Yeah. Yeah, same sort of principle. And the smaller scale adaptation of Stephen King's apt pupil, which I have seen, and... Um, was an interesting film uh, and story. It revolves around Ian McKellen playing a former Nazi who's on the run, like many Nazi members are. And uh, there's an interesting relationship between him and this very intelligent young man who figures out who he is and sort of blackmails him so that he can learn about his history. Mm. Um, It's an interesting film. Um, I've only seen it once, though. Um, so I'm all over at what point I should talk about singer because he's around for a while, but I figure it's important to look at his legacy but also everything around him, and I wanna do my due diligence now uh so there's some challenging difficult topics to be discussed, and it's better to do the work ahead of time uh so should anybody be listening have any corrections or any details? As emerge as we cover the films please be aware that there may be updates later uh, I also want to give a warning now that we will be discussing briefly uh, topics of potentially disturbing sexual nature if you feel you may be uncomfortable with this feel free to skip forward to 15 minutes or'll we'll give this episode a skip and we will totally understand yeah um, with that said we need to cover the details surrounding singer so we'll This will be brief, but we'll do it by year by year, um, up to what we know today. So, in 1997, a 14-year-old extra accused singer of accusing, uh, asking him and other minors to film a shower scene in a nude for apt pupil. Two other adolescent boys, 16 and 17 years old, later supported the 14-year-old's claim. The boys claimed trauma from the experience and filed a civil suit against filmmakers alleging inflection of emotional distress, negligence and invasion of privacy, and alleged that they were filmed for sexual gratification. While some sources state that the civil case was dismissed due to insufficient evidence, others indicate that it was settled out of court and the Los Angeles County District Attorney's Office declined to press criminal charges. In 2014, April 2014, Singer was accused in a civil lawsuit of sexual assault of a minor. According to the suit filed by attorney Jeff Herman, Singer was alleged to have drugged and raped actor and model Michael Egan in Hawaii after meeting him at parties, hosted by convicted sex offender Mark Collins Rector. In the late 1990s, Singer's attorney called the allegations completely fabricated, and Singer uh, planned to counter uh, Singer denied the allegations in a statement, calling them outrageous, vicious, and completely false. On May twenty-second, twenty fourteen, Singer's attorney presented evidence to the federal district judge Susan Oki Mullahay. Uh, sorry if I get name wrong. Uh, stating that neither Singer nor Egan were in Hawaii at the time, in early August twenty fourteen, Egan sought to withdraw his lawsuit via request from court order of dismissal and asked that it be granted without prejudice or an award of costs or fees in the interest of justice. In May 2014, another lawsuit was filed by attorney Jeff Herman on behalf of an anonymous British man. Both singer and producer Gary Goddard, who was named separately in the first case, were accused of sexually assaulting John Doe number 117, According to the lawsuit, Goddard and Singer met the man for sex while he was a minor and engaged in acts of gender violence against him while in London for the premiere of Superman Returns. Uh, The charge against Singer in this case was dismissed at the accuser's request in July 2014. Singer was cited in the 2014 documentary film on child sexual abuse in Hollywood, An Open Secret but details of Egan's allegations were omitted after Egan withdrew his lawsuit during the film's production. Author Brett Easton Ellis alleged that two of his former partners had attended underage sex parties hosted by Singer and fellow director Roland Emmerich. In 2017, on December 7th, 2017, Cesar Sanchez Gutsman again, <laughs> I must I must underline, I apologise for any names I get wrong, Uh, filed a lawsuit in Washington against Singer, alleging that he had been raped at the age of 17 by the director in 2003. Singer denied the allegations and removed himself from the public eye after the lawsuit was announced. The USC School of Cinematic Arts removed Singer's name from its Division of Cinema and Media Studies programme, an action which had been previously requested by the students at the school. In 2019... In June 2019, well, we're going to cover a few different time periods, but as it's written here, in June 2019, Sanchez Gutsman's bankrupt, bankruptcy trustee Nancy James recommended that a 150000 settlement be approved, citing the absence of evidence that Singer attended the yacht party where the alleged assault took place. Singer's attorney, Andrew Bretner, said the singer had maintained his innocence and that the decision to resolve the matter with the bankruptcy trustee was purely a business one. Much of the settlement would go towards paying the creditors and the administrators of the case which the remainder allocated to Sanchez Gutsman. On January 23rd, 2019, Alex Frenchman and Maximilian Potter published an investigative report in the Atlantic in which four more men alleged that Singer sexually assaulted them while they were underage. The article also claimed that Sanchez Gutsman's 2017 lawsuit was stalled when Singer's legal team reported Gutsman to the Internal Revenue Service and US immigration officials, although this was uh, disputed by one of Singer's lawyers. In response to the men's allegations, Singer denied any association with them, and described the journalists as homophobic. In the wake of the renewed allegations, GLAAD withdrew Bohemian Rhapsody's nomination for the year's Glad Media Award in the outstanding film Wide Release category, and stated, Singer's response to the Atlantic story wrongfully used homophobia to deflect from sexual assault allegations. Mm. Time's Up released a statement on Twitter applauding the decision, stating... The recent allegations regarding Brian Singer's behaviour are horrifying and must be taken seriously and investigated. On february sixth, the British Academy of Film Television and Television Arts removed Singer's name from Bohemian Rhapsody's nominated nomination for the BAFTA Award for Best British Film due to the allegations against him. On february eleventh, Millennium Films stated that Red Sonia, a film that Singer had been attached to direct was no longer on their slate of films although the company's founder Avi Lerner had earlier defended Hiring Singer despite the allegations. I've uh, attached a a link to this, a lot of this. There are links going to be in the description and you know, other promotional parts for this episode so people can read up properly and um, get the real details and you know, not see this as some sort of uh, sort of leaning one way or the other whether he did or didn't do these things but these things oh, have been though. yes these things have been talked about and, and should he have actually done these this is quite obviously he's hanging over him quite a lot um, and it's understandable people w- will want to distance themselves from certain elements of the series now um, it's, it's interesting because he's so tied up with it and the allegories involved in like the because he's we're talking about the representation of the x men and the mutants and mutants being an allegory for being gay and oppression and stuff, and he's obviously someone who's used the homophobia right. thing back there, and then at the same time the the idea of maybe he did call immigration on someone to try and defend himself yeah. so they'd be kicked out of America so he wouldn't get in trouble. You know, obviously, we don't know what's happened or what hasn't. Believe, believe those who've, you know, been hurt and the accusers, and find the truth, and you know, hopefully find justice. Mm. But you know, it doesn't. Like at the end of the day, it doesn't look good no. for him. You know, mm. uh, uh, as somebody who's been accused, because you know, his behaviour around it doesn't look like like the the actions of a completely innocent person you know um but i don't, we don't know so we can't really say 100% either way um on top of this this is this is slightly easier to get through uh there's a couple of notable actors who have made comments about working with singer in the intervening years um that put him in less favorable light one of which was Hanny berry in an interview with variety berry said Brian's not the easiest dude to work with. I mean, everybody's heard the stories, but I don't have to repeat them. I heard of his challenges and what he struggles with. I would sometimes be very angry with him, Barry says. I got into a few fights with him, said a few cuss words out of sheer frustration. When I work, I'm serious about that, and when it gets compromised, I get a little nutty. But at the same time, we have a lot of compassion for people who are struggling with whatever they're struggling with. And Brian struggles. Sometimes because of whatever he's struggling with, he just didn't always feel present. He didn't feel there. We were outside in our little X-Men stage freezing our ass off in Banff Canada with sub-zero weather and he's not focusing and we're freezing. You might get a little mad. Um... And the other actor, of note is Brandon Roth, during uh, Superman Returns. Um, during an interview with Michael Rosenbaum for his Inside of You podcast, I think this was quite recent, uh, Roth recalled, Brian is a film genius and was very passionate about the film and I think we made a great movie. He wasn't always easy to work with. He believes singers' actions are due to trauma We're talking about mental health. Everyone should be seeing a therapist, he said. Everyone has trauma in their life. And when I say trauma, it just means heavy emotional experience. It doesn't mean you had traumatic brain injury or you were in the war. I recommend a trauma therapist. I see one. Uh, I always put on his best face when when working with him. He had little things in his life that would come up and he wasn't always the kindest person to everyone. Again, I've attached links to a lot of these stories where these quotes and bits are coming from, um, but it paints a picture of a someone. Man with some yeah, the famous one of the stories I read implied that he vanished off a of film film set for one of the future films we're going to look at for ten days straight oh. in the middle of directing, and he just told everybody just get on with it but you're the vector yeah <laughs> <laughs> thankfully there's second unit directors and yeah. stuff like that and producers get involved more in the studio but all right that's <sighs> all the the that's not all the bad stuff but that's the bulk of the real world yeah. well it's not the bulk of the real world okay well that's the bad stuff for now okay um around the production there is one other bit later but there's some heavy stuff in the film as well. Uh, what have I let myself in for? Um, how do you feel about watching the films? Like, how much of that did you hear about previously? I actually knew
1: nothing about that. I'm I'm yeah. like, I am so I, I could see me.
0: see you out the corner of my eye and I could see you kind of moving your head when you're hearing stuff, like looking around and taking it all in. Yeah, I'm not, so I've not heard of any of that right before. Yeah, how, did, how does that reflect on, you, on the film since you've...
1: See, it's hard though. I don't know, because I...
0: You, you, have to, you have to
1: kind of separate. Yeah, because I know the director plays imp- a massive important part of the film, but also you got all the other actors. Yeah. And actually, and all of their support staff. So it's just like.
0: It's weird, I don't know. It's interesting because his voice uh, creatively is less tied to it than, like we were saying, yeah. Sam Remy's. You can see his style and yeah. his voice in in the directing of Spider Man especially Spider-Man 2. Mm. But knowing his history and the the his what they're saying is his personal struggles and the importance of X-Men and that he's hired so Ian McKellen who's openly yeah. gay and he he agreed to be on the film I think I remember reading during my short researches uh, he agreed to be on the film because he felt it was important as an analogy for homosexuality and the mistreatment of gay people by society and you know equality and things like that you know so you can see how this could have meant quite a lot to him so how tied up in this series he is is interesting um but yeah it's it's you know i'd heard things about him before but i didn't go into the depth about it so it's interesting to know, and I didn't know how many of the films he would directed. You'll be surprised how many of the future films he's yeah. actually involved in directing. Um, but that's alright. So film, uh, film release history. We'll get into a bit of the pre-production release. So the uh, as always, we know which universe it takes place in, and in this film, as far as I remember, this uh, cinematic universe. When it comes to the Marvel universe, is, is canon the multiverse? This takes place on Earth-10005. And the main Marvel Comics universe is Earth-616, as we know from the the Blade films. Um, We know that in the future the series splits. And you may be um, expecting it to split into two separate timelines, but... As far as I can figure out, it splits, splits into as many as maybe four or five different universe oh. timelines. So again, I've <laughs> been off a bit more than I could chew. Uh, anyway. It's going to get complicated. It may get complicated. I'll try my best. <laughs> so Marvel Comics writers and chief editors, Jerry Conway and Roy Thomas, wrote an X-Men screenplay in 1984 when Orion Pictures held the option for the film rights. But development stalled when Orion began facing financial troubles. So it's interesting because it's quite a long a long way back that there was something mm. being optioned. In '93, Avi Everard, um, who was tied to, I think, the Blade films and all the other Marvel stuff, to some extent, yeah. uh, if I remember rightly. It's been a while since we made them Blade episodes. Um, produced the X-Men TV series for Fox Kids, you know the famous one, oh, the that. theme. You may have seen a video I put online recently about that. That was a good video as well. Um, the 20th Century Fox was impressed with the success of the TV show, and producer Lauren Shuler uh, Donner produced the film rights, purchased the film rights, sorry, for them in 1994. Uh, an early draft script involved Professor Xavier recruiting Wolverine into the X-Men, which consisted of Cyclops, Jean Grey. Iceman, Beast, and Angel. So the original X-Men, essentially. Um, the, yeah, that was the first yeah. first team of the X-Men, in case anybody doesn't know. Yeah. Um, the OG X-Men. The Brotherhood of Mutants, which consisted of Magneto, Sabretooth, Toad, Juggernaut, and The Blob, tried to conquer New York City, mm-hmm. while Henry Peter Garrick and Bolivia Trask attacked the X-Men with three eight-foot metre tall sentinels. The script was focused on the rivalry between Wolverine and Cyclops as well as the latter's self-doubt as a field leader. Part of the backstory involved from Magneto made him the cause of the Chernobyl disaster.
1: Oh, interesting.
0: (laughs) Now, if they'd taken that one bit and put it in one of the films, maybe that would be more interesting. Uh, But that film doesn't sound super good. And it seems like it's semi-focused on... Recreating the first few episodes of the cartoon while mixing in the... There was another cartoon that was failed, a really bad one, um, where there was a Wolverine in it, but his accent was Australian. <laughs> that gives you an idea.
1: I guess it's a prelude to the actual Wolverine.
0: Mm. Yeah, ironically. Uh, Fox considered Brett Ratner as director of the first film. Brett Ratner would go on to direct The Last Stand.
1: You know, well, actually, no. He could, he could actually, yeah, yeah.
0: Um, and offered the position to Roder- Robert Rodriguez, but he turned it down. Yeah. After a commercial success of Mortal Combat in the United States, Paul W. S. Anderson was offered the position, but thankfully turned it <laughs> down. I <laughs> imagine a world where Paul W. S. Anderson was was responsible for the X Men instead of doing all of the. Resident Evil films that he did Resident Evil
1: films are weird though because they're crap but they're not crap at the same time like (laughs) I could sit there and watch them
0: define what you mean by that
1: I don't know they're like sort of like they're watchable but they're not I will not recommend anyone to watch them but like (laughs) if someone put anything in front of me i will sit there and watch it like
0: (laughs) they're watchable but I wouldn't recommend anybody to watch (laughs) them (laughs) they're
1: like a guilty present movie I guess like the Underworld series I guess
0: yeah (laughs) I know what you mean. Yeah, uh yeah, a series where the director directs every every episode and his wife is the lead yeah. actress in re- in black leather outfits. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Um but he he wanted to shift away from making another PG-13 rated film in favor of making R-rated horror film Event Horizon. that's
1: quite yeah, you know, that's quite a quite good film though. Yeah, his horror his then. one
0: like truly yeah. good film. <laughs> um other interesting notes Russell Crowe was singer's first choice to play Wolverine. (laughs) But he turned it down, instead recommending his friend, actor Hugh Jackman, for the part. Hugh Jackman didn't get the part. Jackman was actually cast uh, three weeks into filming. (laughs) So they'd already filmed a load of the film before he was even part of the film. um, Based on a successful audition uh fox broadcasting company aired a special entitled uh Mutual, mutant watch to promote the movie we watched that earlier uh, it's considered part of the in world canon um and there was also a, like a marvel comics prequel called uh, x-men beginnings we we aren't going to look at that but it looks at Magneto, rogue and wolverine's origins to extent and a console video game X-Men Mutant Academy was released in July 6th, 2000. It's not tied to the films, but it was released to kind of grab hold oh. of the popularity of it and ride on its cutouts. Uh, so you, we watched the Fox special earlier because it's on the DVD. Mm-hmm. What did you think of that? It's mostly just promotional materials for the film. Right? Yeah. It is. But it's the interesting rapper. They tried to make it, it part of the universe, part of the canon.
1: It does work because it does build it does it sort of builds the world like if you know if you've done anything about x men you watch that you think oh this is like
0: it's the sort of stuff yeah. they used to put on m t v yeah. back in the day where they just promote film and they have like the cast interviews and then clips from the film and stuff it
1: gives you like a look into the world of yeah the x men and what they're gonna struggle
0: i mean ultimately the cartoons what's sold yeah people on the film
1: but if you've never
0: seen the cartoons, you're like, oh, what's this X-Men? Yeah. Right, or like, oh. well, the kids want to go see this film, I'll, I'll watch <laughs> it. Um, and it's interesting because at the, end, at the end, he's giving this interview outside of this hearing and his daughter's there, like, yeah. revealing she's a mutant somehow. And it's the worst visual effects, you know. Yeah, but you're more interested, actually, letting like, it up a bit more in a film. like, it, like you know, If it but, was official or official, yeah. Effect. So we don't know her name, but she's like stretchy mutant or something. Like, oh you Mrs. still Fantastic. you still love me, don't Mr. you? Oh. <laughs> Mr. Fa- Mrs. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Mrs. Mediocre. <laughs> <laughs> um But yeah, it was interesting that they did something like pre film. It doesn't have a date or anything in the timeline. Probably if oh. I look at it again there'll be something in the credits <laughs> that dates it. But um we are going to assume it took place before the film. So before the film starts, Senator Robert Kelly. Holds a hearing or attends a hearing with uh, several, you know, judges, Supreme Court, I assume. Yeah. And uh, they debate, you know, the dangers of mutants and what he wants to do, the registration program, stuff like that. And then his daughter reveals herself to be a mutant at the end. Nothing too heavy it's just a bit goofy if you've got the DVD give it a watch it's worth a laugh it might be on YouTube I guess somewhere It's probably it? on YouTube yeah Um, so are we ready for the actual film yes this should be relatively short actually because I was lazy and that didn't was, do much
1: not much really happen. stuff happens but it's
0: not like uh, yeah a lot happens but nothing happens yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. so um, again we're not trying to knock you. if you really liked this film back in the day I'm not trying to hurt your feelings but a lot doesn't happen in this <laughs> film. Um, it's one of the shoddier Marvel property films. Yeah, even from effects, it's nothing...
1: It's all, right, it's, it's all right. It's all right, but you don't really see much. It's no like grand battle. It you. all gets
0: better. Yeah, it does, yeah. Sometimes it's all right to have smaller battles. And plus, we got to think
1: in 2000s, if we made a harder, like... Mm. Whereas now all the effects are like... They had
0: a, a relatively modest yeah. bud- budget back then. And... You know, like I say, you, you see so many massive fights in comic films now. It's nice to have something smaller yeah. scale, but with relatively big yeah. stakes. Um, and it's more believable to an extent. Like, instead of being an all-powerful nightmare man who can kill everybody in one go, like you, if you're limited as a villain, yeah. you'd attack the the small, most important group of people you can. And change the world in one go that way instead of you know grand scale stuff, yeah. which so that makes some of it more interesting and and there are things around it the rap and the 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 what it's saying about the world and stuff that's interesting, especially reflecting on some of the stuff we see happening nowadays anyway let's get to the film ready, ready, ready. We open on twentieth century fox logo, then darkness before a voiceover tells us. About mutation and its key pl- place in the evolution of life on earth, every few hundred years evolution leaps forward, special effects, blurry blue stuff, computers. and then um, we should probably mention Darwin's Darwin's theory of evolution yeah. in biology evolution is the change of characteristics in a species over several generations and relies on the process of natural selection. Yeah, the theory of evolution is based on the idea that all species are related and gradually change over time. Yeah, uh, mutation, spontaneous mutations, are the results of errors in natural biological processes. If those mutations mean that you can survive for longer, then your children carry those yeah. mutations. Um, mutations in Marvel, uh, Marvel comics, uh, mutants, everybody has a different mutation so I'm, I'm not sure if it's truly evolution. No, okay, instead, yeah. something's affecting one yeah. of them and making them uh, change. Um, in the comics, the Inhumans and the Mutants are both exist in the same universe, obviously, and they have a sort of uh, aggressive relationship mm-hmm. between those two groups, but essentially the same thing. The Inhumans are changed by an, an event that's brought on deliberately, and Mutants kind of just happen to have it happen born that way um it's worth noting that if a a natural mutant is put through the thing that changes humans into inhumans teragenesis i think it's called the mutant will be killed by it oh that makes I guess that so it means that, like there's something where they're both odds yeah. in a genetic sense as well um but we don't want to talk about the inhuman's <laughs> right now like for a while in the marvel tv series in the cinematic universe uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. most notably the uh, Inhumans were used as stand-ins for the mutants and therefore some of the storylines revolved around people fearing and hating them no. if you've not seen Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. we may get around to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. in the long 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 term we've got too much to go through when it comes to the Marvel Cinematic Universe anyway um, I've, le- I've linked to Spontaneous Mutations uh, page just for people if they want to look at it to see what I, what I mean what I'm reading. Um, we come to our opening after some cool computer graphics and a title card. The future door, or like a around future door, closes and seems to lock. So this, the door closes and locks, oh. and then we go through the door <laughs> with it closed <laughs> as our visual lead to the next scene. Why not just do it as the door opening and going through to the next scene? No. As a metaphor and a, a transition, it seems like it's been done wrong. Anyway, um, rain patters hard on a muddy ground. People walk through it in the wet and the rain. A subtitle tells us it's Poland in 1944. Mm. Just when I think we're going to have an easy and fun series, the films are films to talk about. Uh, I forget the whole hard historical and political social commentary edge at every aspect the X-Men has. So, here's the other big hard thing to talk about. I'm going to keep this brief, though, because I don't want to go into this for too long. 1944, day and month unknown in the, in the film. Poland, 1944. This is probably Auschwitz, or a place much like it, that existed in this universe's world. I know you're likely to know what Auschwitz is, but for those who are too young or uninformed, the Auschwitz concentration camp was a complex of 40 concentration and extermination camps operated by Nazi Germany in occupied Poland during World War II. And it was used as a means to facilitate what is known as the Holocaust. <laughs> yeah, uh, it consisted of Auschwitz I, the main camp. Uh, uh, forgive me for any words again that I get wrong. Aus- Auschwitz Auschwitz II, Birkenau, a concentration and extermination camp built with several gas chambers. Auschwitz III, Monowitz, a labour camp created to staff a factory for the chemical conglomerate IG Farben, and dozens of sub camps. The camps became a major site of what Nazis referred to as the final solution, Um, or was written in some places as the final solution. To what they called the Jewish problem. This is just really uncomfortable to talk about. Um, Germany sparked World War II by invading Poland in September 1939. Uh, obviously, <laughs> if you don't know all this, you know. The uh, Schicksal or SS converted Auschwitz I, an army barracks, into a prison of war camp for Polish political prisoners. The first inmates, German criminals, brought to the camp in May 1940 as functionaries. Established the camp's reputation for sadism, where prisoners were beaten, tortured, and executed for the most trivial reasons. The first gassings of Soviet and Polish prisoners took place in Block Eleven of Auschwitz I around August 1941. The concentration uh, construction site of Auschwitz II began the following month, and from 1942 to late 1944. Freight trains delivered Jews from all over German-occupied Europe to its gas chambers. Of the 1.3 million people sent to Auschwitz, 1.1 million died. The death toll includes 960,000 Jews, 865,000 of whom were gassed on arrival, 74,000 non-Jewish Poles, 21,000 Roma. 15,000 Soviet prisoners of war and up to 15,000 other Europeans. Those not gassed died of starvation, exhaustion, disease, individual executions or beatings. Others were killed during medical experiments. Uh, there's going to be a link to uh, information about Auschwitz for those who want to read in more detail. Obviously, I, I'm not an expo- expert in World War II, or the Holocaust, and I, I don't have any place to really talk about it in depth. But, you know, and obviously the the 1.1 million killed we're mentioning are only the specific deaths as I've read them around Auschwitz itself. Many, 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 many more people murdered and killed as part of the Holocaust. So, uh, yes, that's a. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a bit of a heavy start a to place. what is our fun oh. mutant <laughs> superhero comic <laughs> series um, but it, I figured again we are seeing it it has to be mentioned get it out of the way now um, obviously as a precursor to the narrative and events surrounding the story of the film it's a firm reminder of the extremes that hatred of those that are different can lead humanity to and striking, if possibly garish choice for the starting point uh, in what really is our main protagonist and antagonist story. Now, When you when you look back at the film and the series to an extent, it's almost entirely m- about Magneto, Eric, and what he goes through. And obviously this isn't the, quite the same story as the Eric from the comics, but it's quite close, so... You know, it's if people weren't expecting outfits to be the first thing they saw in this big comic book film, they might have felt a bit yeah. taken back by it, especially if they'd taken their kids and stuff. You know. Um, anyway, I hope I did enough justice to that um, for our stupid show. Um, we see a, we'll try and be a lighter after yeah. this scene. We see a family, a mother a father and a young boy, being led into the camp with many others. They're separated violently. Uh, A young boy fights to get to his mother when his powers unintentionally manifest, holding him in place as he anchors to the metal of the camp's gates. Before being knocked down by a guard, we see the boy on his back afterwards, mud, rain falling, before we see those ahead of him slowly lead towards a building with a tall chimney. And that's the last we're going to mention. Of quite that sort of stuff. We're still not done with the uncomfortable stuff. I'm sorry. (laughs) Um, How do you feel about that?
1: It's weird though, because when I when I when I watched as a kid, I never understood it was about Auschwitz. Because obviously, I grew up, I lived in Greece for a while, so obviously, I didn't know about. I didn't really talk about World War Two at all there. So for me, it was just like Mm. this Magneto like finding this power, like Mm. being beaten down. But obviously, I went to Auschwitz a couple of years ago then watching it again
0: now I'm like oh how do you feel about you know having gone to Auschwitz how was that
1: it's quite It's. I would recommend going but obviously it's quite a sad thing to like heavy heavy I think especially it's when it you it see how they work. lived in like
0: mm-hmm.
1: and when one of them had four chambers that like just was about used to work like day and night apparently so
0: yeah Yeah, no, it's interesting like I, I don't want to go too much <laughs> into detail about all the stuff but you know the stories of, of when the soldiers finally liberated mm. the camps and there were, I think it was American soldiers, were attempting to feed these people who had been starved and and suffered and people had to tell them to stop oh. because feeding them would kill them because they'd been without food once for the so Nazis
1: long. That's why they tried destroying Auschwitz too. Mm. That's why most of it is destroyed now. Because mm. they felt they, as soon as they found that miracles were coming, mm. they tried hiding it.
0: Yeah. So it's like oh, this is heavy shit, man. You know, not to be too flippant, but you know. Um, onto the fun stuff, or well, semi-fun stuff. Next, we jump forward to a sunny day in Mississippi, in the quote not too distant future, <laughs> which is the most. Useful Title I've ever seen Like thank you film for telling me Exactly when I'm supposed to set this So the film came out um, I think it was 2000 Close to the end of 2000 December possibly So the film if it's released in 2000 And it's the future but not too distant But that still sounds like it's distant enough This could be between 2000 And 2004 I guess And that's the most I'm going to go to. Hopefully the second film will let us know, if this one doesn't, at some point, when the hell everything's Mm -hmm. going on. But the the technology is not so far flung that it's impossible. Maybe there's sort of X-Men stuff in the mansion, but even that's not too over the top. We find a young girl and a boy in a bedroom. A woman is downstairs, practising piano. A uh, girl tells her companion about her supposed plan to journey from her home in Mississippi to Alaska for some reason. He asks her if it wouldn't be kind of cold. She says, "Other well, otherwise it wouldn't be an adventure, stupid. Mm. I'm not sure she understands the word adventure. <laughs> it's like, sure, okay. I could go anywhere on an adventure. I want to go somewhere really cold. Alaska. That's what I call an adventure. Sure. Um, she says she's going to do it after high school but before college which puts her around the age of 14 to 18 which implies she's in high school most likely 16, 17 yeah Um, eventually the teens kiss and suddenly all the veins pop out from under the boy's face and screaming so much screaming (laughs) must have been a bad kiss yeah can we you recreate that form? smooch I
1: thought like the scream was a bit over the top though I don't know yeah it was like <laughs> like stage screaming
0: yeah. it was so like obvious um, but fair she was young yeah. still then she's a good actress still um, her dad runs in and calls her Marie so we've got a name cut to the next scene we find ourselves at the United States Capitol or the Capitol building. Again, date and time unknown. A woman is giving evidence at a hearing. Yeah. Um, there's like the only the only image in the background. There's a big television <laughs> monitor above her and these slides are closing to cover it up. But it's just like, like a double helix and no information at all. So it's hilarious. She's talking about mutation. She's addressed by a single man in the room as Miss Grey. He is Senator Robert Kelly. We've seen him before, if you've seen the extras. But this is the first time we've seen him in the film. Um, figures watch proceedings from balconies as the senator stands up and gives a massive speech and waves papers around. If this is a Senate hearing or something along those lines, is he allowed to do that? Can somebody tell me?
1: I actually have really, no idea.
0: None of the other senators speak up. i know what's the Senate hearing so... <laughs> He doesn't feel like it should be allowed. He does it to his own little stage show, you know. It earns him applause from from an audience of some kind. Anyway, an older man in a hat is spotted leaving by another man in a wheelchair. In the concourse behind the, the back of the building, he calls out Eric. Before they discuss the morals of the situation, Charles, as he's referred to Fails to get through to him Um They talk about, you know Evolving into Them uh, mm. as humanity And how they can be better And You know, obviously they're, they're differing uh, moles of the two Characters, but we don't know a lot Of details yet, and we don't know who these people are We just know their names So we can't associate any of them yeah. With anything we've seen before yet Um It's interesting that the first two scenes are the origin stories of two characters. Because one of them, it's really obvious why it's an origin story for him. For her, um, an origin story from her now near past future, (laughs) Um, it isn't clear why she's given this origin story bit, but then later, even though you wouldn't think it to watch the film and remember it, because again, you think Wolverine's the main yeah. character. She's essentially the protagonist. Yeah, yeah. You're seeing it fall from her eyes, right? Um, how do you feel about all this, like, as a beginning part and the two origins and the introductions of the two older gentlemen? You know,
1: I quite like going back to it. Because I guess at the time, at the time I didn't even I knew the X-Men was so I was like see I guess if you're watching it from the point of view of not knowing at all you might be like oh but I guess Wolverine was never I don't think we like Wolverine that much as a kid well
0: you don't even I mean at this point we haven't even seen no. him yet so it was interesting not even a hint that it's going to mm. be in the film <laughs> Um, but uh, general scenes you know going back to uh, let's say Auschwitz or standing for yeah. Auschwitz and seeing their pasts. You know, how, do you think? That, I think that, that his was better done than hers. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I mean, hers is, that is what happens yeah. in her comic book narrative. Yeah. Famously. But, um, and I'm not sure specifics about if you see a scene similar to this. Obviously, we talked about the comic book history of the character earlier, but that, that, Scene of him holding on to the, the gates that comes up again several times in the series, I think.
1: To me, I think I'll feel like this is more Magneto, yeah. Film in this one, like it's almost like the whole yeah. series is yeah. Magneto, that's what it series. comes down, yeah.
0: Despite being the antagonist, it's like the whole storyline is always about him
1: because he's kind of a weak cat, there, because he's kind of he is bad, but he's not bad at the same time. Because you can kind of see what he,
0: yeah. Again, he, well, that's that's that whole thing, isn't yeah, it? You no, kind like,
1: of see what he wants to do, but obviously, either goes about in a bad way of doing it. Like
0: he, he, like the the bad guy is always right, which is why they're interesting. Yeah, they they they're doing the wrong thing, but their motivations yeah. are always really justified to an extent. Um, again, to an extent, yeah. like the, the actions aren't justified, yeah. but the motivations yeah. are. Understandable, um, especially as he, he's seen the worst of humanity already, of course, it's, uh, that's all he <laughs> yeah. is. and he and as we'll find out, he consistently sees the worst of humanity. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, so we've gone past the hearing, we cut to a new location. A semi truck pulls into a scene, and our girl from earlier steps out of the passenger side card reads Al- Northern Alberta, Canada no day or time is given and because it's so far north it may be any time of day or, or yeah. night because of the whole the sun thing and we assume it's winter so it's probably it could be like midday for all we know um she asks why the driver didn't give her a lift all the way to Loughlin City he says he did it appears that it's a city made of corrugated metal sheets <laughs> or barns um I'd like to know the only Loughlin I could find that was actually in the Nirvana of all places. Which is almost the polar opposite (laughs) of Canada. Um, But still. Uh, Inside the barn barn barn, or or bar or fight pit, our teenage girl walks in and watches a pair of men fight in a cage made of fencing. Like a cage fighting sort of. MMA sort of cage.
1: Illegal cage fight. Yeah.
0: A new fighter walks in uh, to fight their winner. Attacking from behind, the bartender gets a few fists in before the smaller man punches back and both their fists meet with a strange clank noise. Oh, yeah. clang.
1: I feel like it never happened with our 80s. His fists would get crossed.
0: Even if, like, ignoring all that, you shouldn't be able to hit... The other guy's not made of metal. That's what I mean. So,
1: like, the other guy's (laughs) fist would literally collapse, like... Yeah, but...
0: (laughs) Like, why is he making them sounds? (laughs) He's covered in flesh. Like, uh, There's no reason... Uh, Don't get me angry. Anyway. Mm -hmm. Uh, The the smaller man punches back. He punches twice more, and again, two weird Mm metal-on-metal sound effects. Wolverine wins again. Uh, The Wolverine, as he's called, wins again. Sometime later, he joins our teen runaway at the bar. (laughs) A news report on TV talks about Ellis Island and an upcoming summit with a large number of world leaders attending. The previous cage fighter arrives, walking up behind our new friend Wolverine, saying, no man takes a beating like that yeah. without a mark to show for it. But as I, far as I remember, he got like three hits in at yeah. most. <laughs> there was no beating. So the guy who lost also has a really big bruise across his face. So... The guy who got the beating really did have marks left for it. But, um, sure, whatever. Uh, He attempts to take a knife and attack with it, but uh, with uh, the young girl screaming out loud, Wolverine turns around and reveals he has claws in each hand, forearm, wrist. I mean, they're in the sort of forearm area and they come out of the wrist joint. Um, If he had his hand like that, they'd come out there. You can't see what I'm doing on... Uh, on the podcast but i'm i'm doing that my my hand at a funny angle and obviously they're not going to come out of his hand this way downwards they're just going to come out of his the wrist joint and then if he lifts his arm up that's going to anyway i'm sure there's a sort of mechanical genetic mechanical reason why it wouldn't come out any other way no because if he did that they would come out there
1: I don't know. So, I think so yeah, words.
0: that's my thought is that maybe they, they kind of instinctively naturally. Yeah, I think won't. they do because obviously. Because they it come. Because that's bony,
1: don't they? When he's a kid, they're bones.
0: Yeah, but they'd still be physically hidden here because of the length of the. I don't know how I don't know. know <laughs> Imagine if only claws. we were on camera because we could explain how the. <laughs> the claws work claws. <laughs> they don't grow, do they? They're covered in metal. Anyway. So, they're stored in his forearms, we assume. Uh, There's nowhere else for them. Um, And so he he pins one guy to the wall and the bar owner comes up behind him with a shotgun and says, you know, get out of my bar, you freak. Freak. And then he uses his other hand to cut the shotgun in half and then walks out disgruntled. Uh, It's interesting that this is the protagonist of the series overall being introduced this far in. Because it's quite a way into the film, yes. And he's quite a popular character, you know. And I know other shows and cartoons to follow. Um, like there was one cartoon that was called Wolverine and the X Men. They like they took second bidding to Wolverine. Um, so you know he's he's not actually the antagonist, but he's so popular he got his own film series. <sighs> what three films? Eventually, we're going to look at more. I think it's pretty cool. Yeah. One of them we probably deleted from our minds. Uh, not long after Wolverine uh, hops into his motorhome Ooh. and heads off, Step, uh, stopping along the way after hearing movement and finding Marie in the back.
1: Which to me is weird because he's going for snow, so how would he hear that movement? I
0: he's got heightened senses. He is an animal sort of man. After a, a few moments, he agrees reluctantly to give her a ride by stopping down the road <laughs> and make a run up to him. He's like, I don't give a damn you? what happens to you, sort of. But it's all a front, really. Um, uh, and we officially, finally, meet Logan and Marie, or Wolverine and Rogue. Oh. So we can call them the names that we're more used to calling them now. Mid-conversation, suddenly a tree falls in front and of the, the trailer, and Wolverine is injected through the windscreen. <laughs> and she just happens to be talking about wearing a seatbelt. As it happens. What's the chances of that happening? Before she's trashing it, before she's like going out of his home. Yeah. (laughs) He's slagging off. Oh, oh, I thought I lived bad. (laughs) You literally are sleeping rough. (laughs) 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 He's got a literal motor home, and you think you can complain. Anyway. The motor home catches fire with her stuck inside, uh, as a big hairy man leaps out of the trees and attacks from for no reason, apparently. I mean, he has a reason, we know in the end, but just out of the blue. And suddenly, as things look bad for Wolverine and Rogue, a man with laser eyes and a woman with white hair arrive to save the day from nowhere, taking a prone Wolverine and Rogue, less prone, to safety before the motorhome explodes. Quite a dramatic sort of yeah. explosion. So, uh, how do you feel about our introduction to Wolverine and uh, X-Man number one and X-Man number two, as they're not named yet?
1: Quite good. So... That bar scene. I, don't, I feel like I don't know if Storm would. I feel like thought would make it make me sunnier. Don't know if she come along. But Sorry.
0: <laughs> oh, <laughs> all the noises are happening. <laughs> I'll cut these out. I kind of feel like yeah, these. I don't know. A bit yeah. underwhelming. It's it's quiet. Yeah. Because you don't really know what's going on. This man no. just comes out of nowhere. A tree falls down.
1: And this man isn't even tall, doesn't he? He just attacks. Yeah.
0: It's not like he's going up, uh, It's like... Yeah. And, and it's interesting. You can see what the purpose of that scene yeah. is. Like, you, you need to wear a seatbelt. Immediately mm. crashes. She gets to see, while well, sat in the passenger seat, through the windscreen, where he smashed through, him stand up directly in front of her, and the healing yeah. happened. And then that feeds into an event later on in the film, but like as a casual observer, yeah. you can't really read the, the 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 language of film to see that this is the intent, and it could be a bit smoother. Um, and then, how did they know what was going on? The X Men. What the hell? Where the hell did they come from?
1: So you were told them.
0: Oh, fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> If they know, if they can't track Magneto, why can't they just track the, the people who are working with him all the time? I was thinking that. I was watching I was uh, like... There's a lot of, when you know the future and the, the films that go back in time a bit, there are <laughs> flaws in the storytelling. Uh, one we'll come to later. Um, um, one helmet-based thing that's really important too. Again, we'll come to that later. Next scene. Somewhere, sometime, we've got to a yellow-skinned man spraying paint, possibly, onto something. A big hairy man walks in and gets made fun of, but gives a animal growl yeah. in response, before Eric asks Hair Man what happened. After a small chat, we see the older man look at a stolen dog tag marked Wolverine, and he holds it such a way that you can see the... the the Auschwitz tattoo on his wrist, the concentration camp tattoo on his wrist, and he like you see him look at the dog tags and and the camera is implying he's also looking at that and then looking at yeah. the tattoo, uh, associating both of these things with each other as versions of the same sort of atrocity, you know. And then the pair leave him out on this upset with his failure to capture the person they were supposed to be capturing we cut to a new location in a sort of lab medical space Miss Grey from earlier tends to a still unconscious Wolverine which is interesting, he's been knocked out for a while by the looks suddenly he awakes and he attacks in confusion as he's running through this space a voice in his head leads him around like he's watched The Predator too many times (laughs) turn around come in here, over here. Um, it even has a music sting, like the, the music in the background yeah. is almost like The Predator as well, slightly. Professor X is a dick, <laughs> is what I've written here. He's just like, I'll come over here. It's getting him to run around the place. Um, Logan walks into a room, eventually, with a small group of teens, one named Kitty, um, and three others of note. Oh, there's like, Four other kids in there. One seems to be maybe of mixed heritage, or Native American heritage. She's got a necklace on. I can't pinpoint who that character's supposed to be, um, but she's obviously meant to be meant to be a key character. Um, uh, the the one is played by his actor f- for the rest of the films as well. The others will be recast several times. Um, Charles explains he's teaching physics and offers breakfast um, Breakfast physics. And tells Logan he's in Winchester, New York. Uh, the state, not the city. Um, he still have, has no clue of time or day, but we know from the offer of breakfast, it's probably the morning. morning yes. He may be just referencing the fact he's woken up. I don't know. Charles introduces Aurora Monroe, who walks in the room, and Scott Summers, Storm and Cyclops. Then Dr. Gene Gray, codename redacted, uh, he explains who Magneto is, and Wolverine asks, What's a Magneto? <laughs> well, I'm more than glad to do a quick Google for you, Logan. Uh, a Magneto is a self-contained generator of high voltage that produces ignition <laughs> to an engine through spark plugs. A magnet, hence Magneto, spins in close proximity to a coil of wire. The magnet spins, or the magnet rotor is turned. It generates a strong magnetic force that's held back by a primary coil. So there you that's go. That's Magneto. That's the first thing I found about it. Um, he explains that the man who attacked Wolverine was Sabretooth, which tells us very little... Um, Xavier shows Logan the school uh, a boy with fire powers uh, John and the other boy who was in the school was Bobby so uh, that's Iceman yeah. um, Pyro and the, 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 the tour this section of the film is very much like a little publicity yeah. video for like kids, join the Xavier school Come to like, us all the different school. shots they take and then every so often they cut to a new scene but it's a few seconds later and it's like Wolverine, it let me Help you find out the history (laughs) about yourself. It's like different angles. I I love it. It's terrible. Uh, In time, Charles explains he met Eric Leshur, or Lencher, or Magneto, at the age of seventeen. So we'll put a pin in that for future reference, because you know we see them meet right in the future.
2: Yeah.
0: So we'll we'll decide whether or not he was telling the truth. Lying. Or the film was paying attention to itself in the series. So, so a discussion about Wolverine and all this. How, how do you find the school? Finally, we've, we're at the school. That's how like, was like the cartoon, um, kind of, in a way. I remember the cartoon didn't have any, any kids no, at the school. It's the underground stuff.
1: Well, I think it was more like a school for the gifted. Which is weird, I don't know why that school is exempt, though. I feel like Senator Kelly would be outside that school protesting.
0: He, I think the problem with the school is they don't explain what they mean. So yeah. it's not that sort of gifted. Yeah. It's a secret. Yeah. It's a it's a school for people who are gifted, not gifted. Um, historically, <laughs> um, and obviously it's just property that he owns, okay. uh, family wise. So, um, yeah. And, and that building is interesting. It will come up again, I think. Later, I think after this, the mansion is played by a different building. But it, this isn't it, this. I don't think this is the first time this building has played the mansion, and I'll explain why later. That's a that's a big surprise thing. We'll put again. We'll put pins in certain things. Next scene Limo, escorted by two police um, on motorbikes, drives under a plane and a crowd of protesters, supporters cheer and hold placards. One banner reads Human Rights, which feels very all lives matter in today's climate. Another said, <laughs> just simply reads Send the mutants to the moon forever. Um, I don't, I'm not sure if this is intended as a reference to the comics but um, Magneto famously has Asteroid M oh. and the Inhumans have a city on the moon, uh, which you may know if you've seen the Inhumans yeah. TV series that nobody saw. Yep, <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> We're going to end up seeing that at some point, I'm sure. Or at least I will, um, for this bloody show. <laughs> um, Ken- Kelly gets out, waves, says a few things, hops in the chopper. He tells his aide, eventually, after a little discussion, it's a war. Before his aide turns into a blue woman, and he's kicked to sleep. Back at the X-Mansion, this is where it starts going back and forth, back and forth. Back at the X-Mansion school, Wolverine is a bit sexist at Gene, before he's given a scan. That's a little running theme that we notice here. Wolverine and the slightly sexist writing towards... uh, I feel like that was nowadays when
1: people have like
0: an issue with that he's, he's not overly offensive about it but it just feels a bit cringy I it more that. cringy than it was intended to be I was like
1: oh but I guess because I know that eventually they do hook up do they? I think they do well, in the car they do for a while
0: do they? yeah because I know I think at some point he ends up with Storm a couple of times does he? And there's sort of a romance triangle between him, Scott, and Gene and historically. But I don't think he's ever officially properly yeah, sown any sort of uh, seed, so to speak. <laughs> to be crude. Mm. Um, so I'm not sure about that one. But again, we're going to have to stick with films. Yeah, It's still a bit dated, <laughs> if I'm honest. But who wants to date Cyclops psych- is lame. <laughs> Cyclops is not as bad as you think he is. He's worse. <laughs> this Cyclops is interesting because it appears as though in future he's a different Cyclops because his power set's different. Mm. He shoots lasers from his eyes here and for those who don't know or, or don't realise Cyclops it doesn't shoot lasers from his eyes. He shoots concussive blasts which the best way to think about it is a punch. So so like a physical force Mm. pounding into something, um, coming out of his eyes. So it's it's like a beam, but it's like you could even make it so that it was invisible. It's not gonna burn you, it's just gonna it's gonna break things in front instead of setting things on fire. Um, but you could you could make it so like to visualise it, they've coloured it in as a beam of light, but it would be you could get away with it being invisible and it knocking things over still in front of him. Like what he looks at gets Blown up.
1: It won't won't look as cool. Or punched with his eyes.
0: Yeah. If you want to break it down, he's punching things with his eyes, which is more ridiculous, I suppose. Um. But yes. So, so in this film, he he's explained as having lasers from his eyes. At one point, I think I may be misremembering. But in the first film, when he comes back, and it's the past. I think that's Days of Future Past. Yes. He is hitting things with his beams. So he destroys the tree and he destroys um, the toilet cubicle he's in, things like that. Yeah. I may be, again, I may be misremembering. Maybe it's Apocalypse or something. I don't know. One of them. Um, anyway. Uh, so Wolverine's given a scan and we're introduced to Wolverine's adamantium bones... It's stated that his bones have been bonded with adamantium or, or like, plated, essentially, with adamantium. And we find out that he heals, and so he could be very old. Even older than you, Professor, not knowing how old Professor Xavier is in this film does not give us a good starting point for what that could mean. But to these people, he must be quite old. So a quick note, adamantium, well, adamantium an alloy specifically, noted in the comics and the film series doesn't exist as the hardest metal in the world. Neither does Vibranium, obviously, which is even more magical somehow. Um, It's interesting, Vibranium is obviously a placeholder for Adamantium Mm -hmm. in the Marvel uh, Cinematic Universe, but also Vibranium is a thing in the Marvel Mm -hmm. Comics, which confuses everything. Um, Adamantium being an alloy is made of two different components, kind of merged together. Um, like some other metals are. Um, While it doesn't exist, the hardest metal in the world, tungsten, which is what this ring I'm wearing is made of, does exist. Uh, Of all metals in pure form, tungsten has the highest melting point of 3,422 degrees centigrade, or 6,192 degrees Fahrenheit. Um... The lowest vapour pressure at temperatures above 1,650 degrees centigrade or 3,000 degrees Fahrenheit and the highest tensile strength. Although, uh, Although carbon remains solid at higher temperatures than tungsten, carbon sublimes at atmospheric pressure instead of melting, so it has no melting point. Tungsten has the lowest coefficient of thermal expansion of any pure metal. Like when something gets hot, it expands. Alloying uh, uh, small quantities of tungsten with steel greatly increases its toughness. Mm-hmm. So, if somebody was to make claws for somebody in the real world, they may choose to make or involve tungsten mm-hmm. to some extent. The problem with a harder substance is often it can be more likely to break because it's less resistant. Mm-hmm. It has to be flexible to take damage. Um, Anyway. So, there you go. That's the closest metal I could think of that would work. This is quite heavy. I don't know if you've ever held this ring. It's got a little bit of weight to it, hasn't it? Heavier than you would think it is. Tungsten. Yeah. Anyway. Back with Magneto. (laughs) Kelly is tied to a chair in a cold room. You can see steam coming out of his mouth. A yellow-skinned man uses his long tongue to catch and eat a pigeon whole. Alive. Uh, The pigeon squawks like a crow for some reason when it dies. don't know if pigeons do sound like that. Uh, Or dove, maybe. It may be a dove. Uh, Essentially the same thing, I know. Magneto informs Kelly his aide, Henry Garrick, has been dead for a while. But Magneto's had mystique. Keep him company. Uh, Magneto drops the... Brotherhood of Mutants name. Um, this is referencing the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants from the comics. Um, maybe they said evil, there's a weird cut there, but it seems a bit too comic booky to keep the evil in there. Um, but they could have used it in the way where he was mocking the notion of them being evil. Yeah. Like, oh, we're the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, you know. But who knows? Um, Brotherhood of Mutants works fine. Uh, somehow Magneto I mean he sees himself as innocent, doesn't he? So Yeah. <laughs> so, even though he's murdered someone. Uh, the, the, somehow Magneto invented a machine to turn people into mutants. We don't know what his prowess is with inventions. Toad or Sabretooth. Sabretooth doesn't seem like no, the I, super I, smart person. I can't Mystique saber-tooth. is quite smart, but again, I don't know if she'd be an inventor. Um but he he has a machine that turns people into mutants using his DNA right. exclusively. Possibly. How he did this or how it works is not really explained. No. But for some reason, he has to be in the machine. Um, back at school, Jean shows Wolverine his room and he again makes a parser. Um She lets him know he's she's with Scott and then she attempts to read his mind. There's a later... Conversation between Scott and Jean, and you know, he says, If she was my girl, I wouldn't need to, you know, bloody, bloody, blah, blah, blah. And then he says, Oh, stay away from her, she's my girl. Anyway,
1: yeah, did Wolf have those memories in his head, or did she unlock those memories?
0: A bit from A, a bit from B, right. I think. um I think you see the consequences later, yeah. to don't you? Uh, so, a uh, little note here you notice that when she's reading his mind they're almost the same height they? and then she walks past Scott and they're almost the same height <laughs> so here's a note about their heights Hugh Jackman is six foot two in real life he's quite short Wolverine is five foot three in the comics he's supposed to be tiddly
1: yeah because he's meant to be like a little tank uh, yeah like low yeah. central gravity like. yeah
0: Cyclops in the comics is six foot three, but actor actor James Marston is five foot ten.
1: I mean, it's still a di- <laughs> still a difference between Wolverine and Cyclops. Technically, like, yeah, yeah. It's the next issue.
0: Yeah, if he's gonna, I mean, in real life, he Hugh Jackman is much taller than by a few inches. Yeah. James Marsden, in comic books, James Marsden is much, much uh, Cyclops is much taller than Wolverine. Yeah. Fram Jesson is 5 foot eleven and a half, and a half but Jean Grey is 5 foot 6 <laughs> but here they're almost all practically the same size except in the few moments where Wolverine stands next to a Cyclops and Cyclops is taller suddenly <laughs> because they had him stand on a box they did not think to have him stand on a box all the time and no. other people would pass but still it it doesn't matter in the end because eventually Wolverine grows taller and taller until he's actually the size of Hugh Jackman in the film series. They they just ignore it, um, which is why people called for one of one of the names down for Wolverine was Bob Hoskins. <laughs> yeah, that gives you an idea. Um, some people have joked they wanted to see Danny DeVito play Wolverine. <laughs> <laughs> that would be funny though, Danny DeVito. Um, but there is a more appropriate character for Danny DeVito because. Um, there's a Canadian superhero character who was in Alpha Flight, which is the first superhero team Wolverine was part of, um, called Puck, who's even shorter. He's like four foot something. He's like practically a square.
1: That'd be a way through Penguin, alright. Yeah, alright,
0: sure. <laughs> <laughs> Don't take the penguin away from you. So take away from that what you will. I just thought it was worth mentioning. Uh, that night, Rogue sneaks in on Wolverine sleeping. I don't know what she's trying to do.
1: Me neither. I think it was just to set up the next scene. I she just wanted
0: to see somebody she knew and felt uncomfortable, maybe. Anyway, he's startled as a result of his dreams uh, and Gene's messing with his memories. So he's having dreams and then they're infecting his uh, his memories are affecting his dreams. And he, he's woken awake. Woken awake? Jolted awake. Um, suddenly, and just instinctively sticks his fist out, with his claws out. And he accidentally stabs her more or less through the chest on the right side. So not through the heart, but still nasty.
1: She would have died if she didn't. Mm.
0: Thankfully, in a moment of clarity, she remembers him being knocked out of the cab of his motorhome and healing. And therefore she steals his powers and heals herself. And then runs off. um, All embarrassed and confused. Later, after he wakes up, Xavier explains Rogue's powers to Logan. Uh, the second time we get explained to us, that this this explanation of her powers and seeing her powers being used is like Chekhov's gun. It's going to be a key point later. It's going to be how up. Um, back at wherever we are, we find Senator Kelly locked up and looking out of the bars of his cell window. He finds himself suddenly able to squeeze through them. We, we should mention Magneto did his experiment earlier on him. In- But it was so non-event that we don't really pay attention to it. Um, It is important, though. (laughs) Uh, But, yeah, a big weird bubble went over him and then nothing seemed to happen. But later on, he's in his cell and he's all stretchy and squishy now for some reason. Um, So he he squeezed through the bar of his window and escapes, or tries to escape, Magneto then strides over to his cell to visit him to find him gone. He then leads out the window and welcomes him to the family as he's uh, now got mutant abilities, or he's now technically a mutant. Um, During Sabretooth's attempt to bring him indoors, he grabs him by the wrist and he stretches and slips out and falls into the sea, potentially to his death. Uh, Discussion.
1: I thought this scene to me was a bit weird though. Because how did he find outside just hanging out down? Yeah,
0: he, he just <laughs> come to <he> jump to <laughs> a conclusion. That where else did he have to go? Um, that interesting effect where where he walks into the cell and the bars kind of I like that. From that's practical. That's not CG or yeah. swap over bits. I think it's like some rubberized sort of bars. But um, that's an interesting little effect on that. Um, and Sabretooth still just kind of there.
1: I to me same does just feel dumb in this. They've just made him a dumb like Monster Man. Yeah.
0: Hmm. He barely has any lines. Not anything really of value. quite oh, Yeah. <laughs> um But Magneto's lost Senator Kelly and he's like, Oh I'm angry about this. Um But again, this is just set up for what's gonna happen Avenue, next. Yeah. So and we've seen the two key points. We've seen Rogue demonstrate our powers again on Wolverine and Magneto um, using testing the machine. the machine and then the results of the machine. So that's the sort of key points for what's happened here. Uh, at the beach, a little prick is stabbing a jellyfish with a stick as his sister pleads with him to let it go. If uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Kenny, uh steps into the beach Having survived the fall, many people are looking on in shock as he turns from a semi-jelly man with gills into normal mm. him. His mutation isn't super clear, but it's almost like he just kind of adapted to the situation he found himself in instinctively. I don't know. Back at the school, Bobby chats to Rogue, convincing her to leave as the other kids are freak. I think he says. He says that he thinks she should leave. But oh no, she goes away and it's mystique all along. You see this part,
1: why why didn't Professor Xavier detect her in
0: maybe he chooses not to use his powers maybe. that respect for all the students there. You know, he'd have to be constantly searching. Maybe yeah. and you can imagine that being quite exhausting yeah. after a while. I don't know. Maybe he has to control not hearing everybody's voices yeah. all the time and turn it off, you know. Um But then again, why would he need Cerebro if he's so powerful? It's all kind of in in the air with his power base. Under the mansion, Xavier and and Scott wonder why Magneto wants Wolverine, with Professor saying, I'm not sure entirely that it's him he wants. Um, When Logan walks in and asks where she's gone. So they they figure out Roger's vanished off the mansion grounds and they decided to use Cerebro to find we our first um, look at how Cerebro works and this sort of visual effect of it stretching and expanding out, it was a nice little little effect, but they loved it so much they kept using it for every single film <laughs> so um, it becomes a bit uh, seen after a while um, and becomes key to the second film, but we'll get to that later so um, he finds out where she is, and he, he explains, in the midst of doing this, that Magneto helped design Cerebro. Yeah. Oh, no. No key, key word he is, he helped build Cerebro.
1: So slightly that, different. So that explains how he built that machine, then, because he has got some...
0: Maybe, or maybe he's literally just the construction worker. Maybe. Because he uses his powers. Like You yeah. see him later in the second film, he's in Cerebro, or a version of Cerebro. He doesn't really do anything, he just kind of moves some panels yes. around. <laughs> anyway, we're not talking about second film just yet. Um, so he uses Cerebro and finds out where she is and tells them that she's gone to the train station. And so Storm and Cyclops attempt to leave ahead of Logan and stop Rogue, but somehow even though they left ahead of it's him like that, Wolverine heads, ends up ahead of them and steals Cyclops's bike Without any keys? I
1: was thinking actually I thought like,
0: how did he Did he dig through the floor or what?
1: Maybe the keys is on the side, maybe?
0: I don't know. How did he get there? even then he'd have to run in front of them. There's only one lift.
1: You don't even, you don't even imagine that one does he either?
0: No. <laughs> I'm not sure how any of this did he sniff it out? <laughs> did they get confused? You that's something we're gonna talk about later, actually somebody getting confused. Um oh, also, it's some sort of super bike. Yeah. Like, there's a little button that just means it goes turbo fast. This is one of the most embarrassing scenes. <laughs> just him riding the bike high speed with the camera shut out too fast and his like stupid face as he's riding the bike. Like, sorry, Hugh, but it just looked really ridiculous. Don't don't have a go at me. Anyway, Wolverine gets to the train station and meets Rogue on the train. How he knows which train it is. I don't know, but he finds I got I mean, again, he's got good sniffs. So, so Yeah, so sure. probably found her out. We see two Bobbies back at the expansion. The second Bobby is walking out of the turbo lift, or lift, because I've been watching too much Star Trek, (laughs) and he's on the ground floor as the other Bobby passes. So he's coming out of the lift on the ground floor. Right? (laughs) Pin in that for five seconds. Cyclops and Storm arrive and begin searching the train station. Back to Bobby. He's now downstairs <laughs> in the X-Mansion turning into Charles and breaking into Cerebro. Mm. Did did he step out of the lift, realise he was in the wrong place, go, oh, silly me, turn around, get back in the lift and then go back down again? Probably. Or did they just accidentally film it out of order and put the scenes in the wrong place? Probably film it out of order. That's <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Put them in the wrong place, yeah. Because that doesn't make sense when you think about it. It's a very small nitpick, but, you know. Uh, Mystique, Mystique enters Cerebro and attaches a sort of brackish liquid vial to it and then um, leaves. This this place's security is shit. <laughs> like, it's not even just that Professor X can't track her. It's that nobody kind of notices this yeah. second version of Bobby or... the. A woman who who changes into other people. Like, you'd think there'd be some sort of tracking, security <laughs> to notice this was going on. Like, no, no, they're useless. Like, why has hasn't Magneto sent Mystique over there as a random mutant before? You just mess with them. Yeah. Maybe once a week he does. <laughs> just moves their. Them, how see going there quickly? Open the lids of the milk bottles and leaves them on the side. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it just throws their magazines <laughs> away when they haven't finished reading them. That sort of thing. Just out of laughs, anyway. Um, back on the train, Wolverine spends some time comforting Rogue, and you know, suggests that she should go back to the mansion. And she explains that she still feels the people she's touched in her head. Um, he comforts her properly. At the station, Sabretooth attacks Storm. He has this, like one of his only lines, which is scream from here No, you say
1: hmm? like you, know, you owe me a scream i think it's like you owe me a scream no
0: no he says that later Is it later? Is it? yeah he says that later but this is where he says oh. the scream thing and it smacks her against the the ticket booth um a cyclops attempts to help her toad on the ceiling whips his visor off with his tongue causing blasts to explode unchecked out of his eyes, blowing a hole in the station's roof.
1: you think Cyclops would have like a better visor, wouldn't you?
0: Or shut his eyes.
1: Yeah, shut his <laughs> eyes. saying saying that you, someone can't just grab your visor from you that easily.
0: Yeah, his <laughs> visor gets more ridiculous in the future, on, <laughs> in the comics. Because he ends up with this visor that's like a whole headset thing, which is in the shape of an X. So he oh, shoots yeah. Xs and stuff. Oh. It's really ugly, but whatever. People like it people like Cyclops I don't don't, don't you don't like Cyclops Uh, Storm strikes Sabretooth with lightning meanwhile Magneto attacks the train laughing at the notion he's there for Logan (laughs) before abducting Rogue outside he attacks the police before Xavier takes over Sabretooth and Toad with his mind to try and stop him and you get one of the more interesting scenes where he's you know having this conversation with somebody who can't see uh through them and they're they're holding him as hostage well he's holding her as hostage mm-hmm. and then he starts holding the police as hostage mm-hmm. with their own guns um it's an interesting scene and you know
1: it's probably my favorite scene at the time it's actually. probably the strongest
0: yeah. in the whole movie like it's less action it's these two men discussing again their moral differences yeah. and what he feels is the the extremes that need to be gone to to do what's necessary to change things, um, and it's interesting. Uh, I would see, I would watch a film with more of that in it, because a lot of this, like like super motorcycle it's a bit goofy. Um, especially you've and Sabretooth, <laughs> you can see why they the aside from the fact Jennifer Lawrence plays her later, you can see why the writers and directed producers kind of lumped onto the, the mystique sort of character as a sort of more interesting key point because of what she, her power base is interesting as well um her moral history is a bit dark as well uh, she's not just a gurning supervillain okay. anyway she arrives in a helicopter and the bad guys jump into the helicopter and fly away uh fighting Xavier failing completely to stop anything from happening um again we like i say we that was a, probably the strongest Let's thing right? um and the reveal that he's after rogue, yeah, which goes back to the beginning why why we saw Rogue's narrative yeah. at the beginning of a story um found it, what do you think so far, I it was so
1: good, wow. <laughs> I do you want
0: do you want to digress a bit?
1: I just feel like nothing happens in this film, really. It's just a sell for like the what, future What film. will happen.
0: Yeah. Or even the ending. The ending's there's like again there's there's there is a relatively big sort of um stake. But it's not too much. Mm.
1: It's just a setup for the future films.
0: Mm. yes especially the end and I wonder how far ahead they knew they were going to make a second film
1: probably not because the ending is a we get everyone to, the ending is a bit loose isn't it because it could even go one or two ways like you could see that being the end and it ends there like because mm. apparently he's locked away so, oh that could have been
0: yes no yeah you can see that as a relative end yeah um the whole him, we'll, we'll talk about it properly in a minute. But him sending another character yeah. off to find out the truth, and um, it's interesting, anyway. Uh, back in the game, back in the film, Sabretooth attacks a guard at Ellis Island as another guard <laughs> has been attacked and is for some reason disguised mystique, even though she could just not waved at the other guy because Sabretooth <laughs> was that anyway they, they're attacking Ellis Island and taking over um, for those who don't know that's where the Statue of Liberty is I've been there as well oh
1: how was that uneventful really it's nothing it's not like it looks more exciting than it actually is yeah
0: the no no fun fair or anything like no. that no Magneto talks to Rogue and mentions seeing the Statue of Liberty for the first time in 1949 just a few years after the war. Oh, yeah. So it kind of places a time for him mm. where he was in America the first time. Uh, after she asks, he lets her know that he will be killing her. He's like, I'm going to kill you. Yes. Are you. Are you going to kill me? He's like, yes. I like his honesty, though. Yeah. <laughs> like it, There is an element of he feels bad about it to an extent, mm. but then he's called out on it later because he's just, he's still a coward yeah. about it. Um, his plan is flawed but not because his machine kills normal people but because his machine is as likely to kill him if he is in it as Rogue's Touch could kill him if she uses if he uses her instead so she's going to have to take enough power from him that it could kill him so why not just get in the machine because anyway also, doesn't he have a mutant there with like regenerative powers? Does it have to be one with magnetic powers? No. Like, why not put Sabretooth in it? Assuming he has the same power no. set as, as Wolverine. Um. So, based on his history in the comics, he does.
1: Or make it make the machine to be use Wolverine instead. Yeah, they could, yeah, lock, they could lock have him used in. Wolverine you can and used his lock magnetic in, yeah. powers. <laughs> you can literally lock him into Does the machine. Does it have
0: to be Magneto? It's like, it's mutant-based, isn't it? I don't understand yeah. what the rules are for this machine. Anyway, Scott explains that he's at Liberty Island and his plans, using a space map, like this weird 3D map, yeah. this is the most future technology yeah. you see in the whole film, a map, like, the same map turns up in Black Panther later. You okay, know, it's all, it, yeah, know, so that's weird hologram, yeah. sort of bouncy, sort of, Sand map thing. Um God knows where they got that from. Wolverine suits up eventually and we used to go with mm-hmm. them. And they leave after making fun of the classic X-Men's comics outfits. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, looking back at this film post-Avengers, it seems a bit ironic. Because you can have that sort of outfit and still have it feel realistic. And yeah,
1: because you, you, you don't have it as so bright
0: you just make it a bit more it could be bright even but yeah. Captain America's outfit is pretty accurate yeah. <clears throat> but you know they they just wanted to be like oh we're serious
1: I do like I do like the old uni- I don't know
0: the uniforms don't look bad generally in the film no. and I appreciate the costume design some of the characters in the comics some you can understand they're being a bit dated or a bit yeah. odd but generally you know Storm's outfit is still quite close to the comics, ironically, because of that weird cake thing yeah. she's got going on. This doesn't look as yeah. good. Um <sighs> The X Men fly to the island making a water landing. Uh in the visitor centre, the X Men fight to save Rogue, they walk in and get encounter all the other, you know, bad guy mutants or uh Toad and Mystique specifically. Um, Wolverine fights Mystique as she looks like Wolverine uh, with a one notable bit where he cuts off her claws. I don't, that, that's, wouldn't that hurt her though? I don't it know. does hurt her. She does scream out. Yeah, loud. but do you know any depends what part of her it's supposed to be she, cut off. She's got regenerated talent. She, she does with the mutate the, with the changing ability but then he stabs her in the chest later.
1: That's in her stomach, isn't it? Yeah. Stomach, chest, yeah, like stomach.
0: That. And that doesn't heal.
1: Yeah, because she's changing into police officer and just, can see that you can see that wound marks over
0: there so it's how it all works i don't know maybe because there are appendages that aren't normally there like yeah. it's like growing hair and she, and she can't use them so
1: they As are quite sharp of yeah. course
0: uh, um or maybe they they are Yeah, you know, i mean hair and bone are the same thing yeah. essentially so maybe it's just like how it works for her she can grow bone yeah. versions of that look like i don't know it's very confusing but, you know, he cuts off her claws and she reacts with pain, but then nothing really comes of that bit. Um, she beats, he beats her eventually after tricking her by uh, convincing her dressed as Storm that he doesn't recognise, mm. but he does. Um, and then Storm, at the same time, gives the favourite line.
1: You know what happens to Toad when I get hit by lightning? The same thing as I else I which- I was like, when I was a kid, I used to love that line. But as an adult, I'm like, It's just cheesy as hell. <laughs> <laughs> it
0: does not make sense, though. I know. This was me.
1: As a kid, I'm like, that's a really cool line. And you look, you're like, oh. Because in my head, it's like, I think it was something else in my head. Now, in my head, I've she said, have you ever been struck? I mean,
0: it's not on the level of motherfuckers always got to be getting up a hill. Uh,
1: in my head, I always she said, have you ever seen a toga hit by lightning?
0: But it's not, so. <laughs> Even That doesn't make much sense. <laughs> but, Have you ever seen a Toad get hit by lightning? Yeah, but this no. is... But it's calling it over...
1: Yeah.
0: I don't know. Well, it, here we go. He's, he's So he gets struck by lightning and is flung into the ocean and presumed dead because we I never mean, see we, him again. No, we don't, know. Which is a shame because Toad in the comics at one point becomes the leader of the Brotherhood mm-hmm. of Evil Mutants and is smarter than you give credit for. But also... I'm glad that he's not in the film anymore. Um, On Liberty's head, Magneto eventually traps the rest of the mutants pretty easily as we watch the summit begin. Uh, They try to convince Magneto of the flaw of his plan and they fail. Pretty badly. Eventually, Wolverine frees himself by stabbing himself with his claws. Although, how that works with... His metal bones yeah, I, I... holding him in place. I don't know because he's still magnetized, so he, he just stabs himself. If, if Magneto's powers are still working, he should just still be stuck there, no, but, he's got but him... bleeding.
1: No, but he didn't have his claws up, did he? His claws went out, he just put his claws so it sticks.
0: Yeah, yeah, but he's he's stuck like that because yeah. he's got bones made of metal, covered yeah. in metal. So it doesn't matter if his claws are in or out, he's still stuck like that. Yeah,
1: Magneto like
0: hooks and does it with a little. It's really confusing. Anyway, so maybe Magneto's forgotten and he's walked away and yeah, like you say, he you can he got something it frees him. It's not super clear. And plus how would he cut free don't adamant uh, Yeah, that's what that's the thing is yeah. it's like the bones would get in the that's way. what,
1: yeah. it T V
0: Suspension of disbelief yeah. is what we'll go with here. Um eventually Magneto uh Gets into a fight with Sabretooth on top of the Statue of Liberty's head. One of the, you know, an interesting little fight spot, but you know, it sticks out in this film historically. But it's not a massive fight. I always find it weird that's that
1: claw thing around the.
0: Yeah, around the the point of her her, hat. How does that work physically? You should just slip off. (laughs) Yeah, we'll ignore that. It's it's a fun little fight scene. Looks cool enough. Yeah. And that bit where he almost kills the two inside the head because he's not really paying attention to where they might be. Um, uh, Scott eventually, uh, Sabretooth is essentially blasted out of the head before Storm and Jean lift Wolverine to the device to save Rogue using the combination of their powers. This is interesting because it's one of the few times where these people teaming up, working in conjunction with each other, makes sense in an X-Men film. In the future it's just let's all shoot the bad guy at the same time. (laughs) But it's like she's using her wind powers to lift him and then Jean Grey is using her mind to steady him while she's going up. Like that doesn't happen often in in these films. Even the Marvel films that happens less often than you, you think. Um so that's an interesting sort of creative choice. Um eventually Scott takes a shot with his blasters and you think, oh, he's going to shoot the machine, but he shoots Magneto instead, Mm. which means he's a good leader because he makes good decisions.
1: That's what you keep saying
0: to yourself. (laughs) Yeah, And once free, Wolverine, free of Magneto's powers, breaks the machine before giving Rogue a ton of his his mutant healing powers so she can uh, survive. But simultaneously, she, she takes so many that all of his old wounds start splitting open. Oh, that was nice. Gnar- yeah, it's really sort of clunky CGI, yeah. but, you know, the concept's gnarly, yeah. Um, and the day is saved. Magneto's knocked out. So what do you think of this this final that big action conclusion?
1: It was okay, but it a bit underwhelming. I don't know. It's
0: a, it's a small scale, yeah. sort of. Yeah. Um,
1: I, I appreciate it it's a nice little scene see them all team up
2: because
1: mm. that's the only time they redo it the only time we actually redo it in a movie don't they really because the rest of the time we see them fight individually really
0: even in the future film like the next one I don't remember any sort of real no. it's it's an interesting little moment having them work together um, although it's cool seeing like the battle inside the visitor's mm. centre between the the handful of yeah. characters um, Jean Grey seems like a bit of a third wheel generally because it doesn't take much for Toad to stop her no. although you, you could imagine her maybe even if he's covered her mouth with the gunk Look, like she focused for a second she could probably knock him out no. with her mind but, but she's, she's
1: not fully powered yet is she
0: though no well yeah we don't want to start talking about no. her, her getting fully powered just yet
1: yeah but I feel like in this moment she's like this beginning because obviously she talks about how Xavier's teaching her to use her power, so mm. she's, she's sort of like at the beginning of her journey
0: this one yes, it feels like she's been there for a long time yeah. at the same time um, so it's interesting uh, but we again historically we know what they do if you've seen these films with her journey yeah. a couple of times yeah. um, so we, we won't go too much into it but it's not what it could have been um but yeah, I think it was a alright little, so sort of little yeah, package maybe. action sort of scene.
1: And for the two thousand as well, it's got to remember that as well. Like
0: <laughs> for a small budget, this is the first. I think because we've seen so much, so many like grander stuff now. Well, even then though, you you have Spider-Man at about the same time, and that even though it's just him against one bad guy, mm. it's like there's a slightly bigger scale. Like saving people, the people on the bridge teaming up to fight against yeah. the Green Goblin and then him saving the kids or the boss I think that's it's been a while since I've seen that film and then there's the last fight is in the burning building yeah. and all this stuff that's like it feels like there's more going oh. on um but maybe there was a slightly better budget we should well, look once, at the
1: budgets I well, want so many ones foxes is,
0: well, <laughs> yeah fox <laughs> 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 um Anyway, we get back to the, the our finale. Okay. Um, police arrive and take a wounded, disguised mystique away. Mm. Uh, and Magneto gets taken into custody. At the mansion, Xavier wakes from his event in Cerebro. He slumber. And a healed Wolverine wakes a little later after that. Xavier tells Wolverine about a location in the Alkali Lake... Alkali mm. Lake... Canadian Rockies Senator Kelly appears on television but it's mystique in disguise that's not um the TV news has no clear markings doesn't give away any dates or times at all I still can't give you a day for when this happens so we have no timeline except for the past which isn't great but hopefully with the second film second X-Men film we'll have a bit of idea of when all this takes place um we end with Magneto playing chess with Charles yeah. in a plastic prison suspended like over a pit. It's visually, it's really nice. Uh, he reminds Charles, war is coming. And we get credits. And there's no post-credit sequence because this is the past. You see, I like. I don't like post-credit credits anymore. Yeah. Yeah, I can appreciate that. I, I don't I, mind the I no ones that, I I, no ju-
1: like, five minutes after one of the credits, but one is, like, you got to sit through there your last. You
2: know
0: what I mean? You don't have to. I think when it done sparingly, they could be fun. Yeah. Um, but doing them every time. <laughs> but then Marvel started doing them in a way that made fun of people for sticking around. Yeah. You know, so they had a laugh with it. Like Spider Man, What well, that's a Sony film, I don't know, but it's the Spider Man one specifically. And um, there's a couple others that don't have them. So it's not necessary to have them. Right, a quick mention. Post-release, X-Men-wise, with the mention of Brian Singer earlier, it's a second more recent elephant in the room we should talk about quickly. I told you there was one more little thing. It's not as big, but it's still not nice. Ray Park, or Darth Maul, as is partly known. It had been recently talked about possibly coming back to play Darth Maul in the um, TV series... The Mandalorian, possibly. Mm. Um, but that was all rumours. And obviously he's he exists in some of the other Star Wars oh, films as a character. Um, and TV series. A couple of months ago, the actor started trending on Twitter as he seemingly deliberately posted a video of himself and his wife, forward slash, former partner. I'm not 100% on this. On Instagram where she can be seen performing sexual acts on him. This was apparently a version of revenge porn on his part to to make her look bad. Um, He even went on to share her phone number publicly. Wow. Um, and accused her of certain things and slayed off in public and said some questionable stuff. So... Uh, there's a bit of a cloud hanging over Ray Park at the moment. Uh, I was never a massive fan.
1: I don't see any of this stuff, really. <laughs> no.
0: I, think, I, guess I don't really look for... I don't know. I, again, this isn't so big compared to the other stuff we've discussed. But it was important to mention, a... as he's leaving the series yeah. at this point, and, you know, we can't pretend these things didn't happen. Um. Uh, I've, I'll leave a link to that story as well uh, in the notes for the show. Um, so yes, we finished X-Men. What do you think overall?
1: I, I, you know, I enjoyed it. I still I still think it's enjoyable to watch X-Men.
0: Yeah.
1: It's light. Yeah, it's light. There's less of a... I remember it being more grand in my head because I've not watched this film for maybe it's like... so It feels so short as well now. I've not watched this film for like, about 10 years so obviously we were watching it and I was like
0: actually it's not as grand enough when it was but it's aged pretty yeah. badly but it's not a terrible but it's story. not it's that bad though not compared to somewhat like the, the some of the cheesy elements like the Brotherhood of Mutants yeah. Sabretooth from Toad are awful <laughs> generally the bad guys are all kind of aside from Magneto look weird compared to the good guys good guys look normal sort of thing going on that's c- sort of corrected in the second film, but um, so that I don't know about how I feel about that. It's cliche mm. to an extent when it comes to visual coding, yeah, yeah. you know. Um, and some of the cheesy shit, like <laughs> Wolverine grinding that fucking motorcycle, that's <laughs> so bad, it's just like you just, ooh, cringe. You feel it's like really it should be cu- you feel like it should be just cut out, yeah, <laughs> a cut. tweaked a bit. He's just. Yeah. He stole a car and got there ahead of them. Oh, they stole a motorbike, that's fine. Yeah, he stole a motorbike. You could have the scene of him leaving ahead of them, them going, oh, we quickly have to get this stuff. Which explain why he's ahead of them. And then they're like, where's the motorbike? Yeah. Oh. And then you see it cuts immediately to him arriving at the train station, mm-hmm. just parking it. Yeah. That's funny on its own, because it shows he stole the motorbike, yeah. but it doesn't make him look ridiculous. <laughs> but I don't know. Um, I, how much was different in your version? One point five. You said you. I watched... didn't watch one point five. I must have watched this one. but There's nothing. Nothing standing out. No. Hmm. Interesting. Maybe we should take a peek at it. Not go into it yeah. as an episode, but uh, there are going to be a couple of films we have to watch twice at some point. <clears throat> Specifically, Days of Future Past, because there's two cuts to that film. Is there? Yes. There's Days of Future Past. And there's the rogue cut. Oh. Because rogue was completely cut out of that film, but she's in the film. Oh. So we, we'll have to investigate to see the two differences <laughs> of that film. Uh, <clears throat> so, yes, it's an interesting film to go back to, and obviously it's important in the canon yeah. of film, comic films, you know. Um, so, I suppose you want to know what we're going to do for the next episode. <laughs> And you're probably going to assume we're going to watch X-Men 2, Two. or X2. And I'm here to say that First we're class. not going to be watching X2 or any of the X-Men movies in the series of mainline X-Men films. Because we have to take a pit stop. Where's that you going to? <laughs> so there is a film that was released before X-Men. And it's based on the Generation X comic book series. It's simply called Generation X. I think I've seen this film, you yeah. know. You probably have. It was originally a pilot, but released on DVD and tape. Maybe just on tape, actually. I think I've seen this film. Um, and it was, like I say, set as an X-Men Generation yeah. X sort of pilot for a TV show. But it, they never picked it up. They just released it as a film. Oh. Straight to DVD. Straight to tape. Um, and one of the interesting facts is the mansion in the Generation X film is actually one of the mansions used for the mainline oh. series um, so technically it's... we could consider it a sort of canon, mm. so the events of that film will be looked at next episode no. Yeah, it's, it's our one major skew sort of diversion from the X-Men series uh, there will be a couple of others. Uh, they're more obvious and re- reasonable. Like, uh, I don't want to spoil too much, but Deadpool is technically... Never seen those from you. You've never seen them, Well, you're going to see yeah. them now. <laughs> um, Deadpool and, uh, like, the road cut, like I mentioned a minute ago, that's going to be our other proper skew from the X-Men universe. Because it's, I don't know how canon that's considered.
1: Are we going to dive into new, new Mutants eventually?
0: And new mutants will be the last. Yeah, because that's not see. that's not
1: officially out yet. It, it, it is, but it's not it, like.
0: like. Can't... we have yet to, have yet to see the most recent Phoenix. i me and So that one's gonna we're gonna have <laughs> to plan around it. Well. But yes, so the next episode will be Generation X, and then the episode after that mm. will be X Two, for those who want to watch or listen to X Two ahead of it. So. um there is a version of Generation X available on YouTube if I can get it linked yeah. to you, um, and I'll put the link in the show notes as well.
1: So I'm correct that it was X Men One, Two, and was it Three? Then a they... Last Stand. Last Stand which was the Last Stand.
0: Then it, it was X Men Origins Wolverine.
1: Oh, well, story, because they saw sort of, after Last Stand they saw sort of got that storyline, and...
0: Um, and then it was. I'd like to say it was the first class film but I think it was the next Wolverine film maybe yeah no no it was definitely first class then it was the Wolverine then it's at some point
1: they kind of split off the they go Wolverine separate to. no is it
0: not is, no. it, is it all part the end of the Wolverine and then it's um, X-Men Days of Future Past oh. and that's the the, the point people nod, nod to as a split in the what universe um, after that, it it's you know, apocalypse over yeah, here. Yeah. Logan over mm-hmm. here. Deadpool there, <laughs> in his own universe. <clears throat> and I think, I I, I and New Mutants is another yeah. fourth, yeah. like tied but not tied. <laughs> but I think also Gen X is going to yeah. be over here somewhere. Like they'll all be classed as one timeline. But, but with the time travel stuff, it's going to get confusing. So that should be interesting. <laughs> so I hope you're prepared. I will link you to the necessary video files. I look forward to Last Time, actually. should be interesting. I like
1: Last Time. You know, like I, I
0: picked up a copy of it on Blu-ray. The only one films we will be watching that aren't on Blu-ray are the first two, from, from my point of view. The first two and... Generation See, X. I don't remember the second one at all. Interesting. I remember, the, I, remember I, I seem to remember that having, a, like, a 2.5 or something as well. I remember Last analog, I've watched that a lot. <laughs> it looks really good on Blu-ray, like, I remember. Yeah, I, remember I some, think it's it, one of the first Blu-rays I ever watched. It's
1: hated by a lot of people, though. Well, we'll get to I guess, when we get to I don't <laughs> hate it,
0: but... The, it's the fact that they start getting a bit meme with Juggernaut. Because, oh. uh... Oh, I'm, I'm juggernaut, a juggernaut bitch. Yeah. That's from uh, a YouTube edit of one of the cartoons oh, yeah, a juggernaut where a juggernaut bit. would say that in the cartoon, but it's not really what he would say. Yeah. So, yeah, it gets all a bit memey. So I can appreciate why people don't like <laughs> it. Also, Kelsey Grammer is the best and worst casting <laughs> beast. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so that's what's coming up next. Yeah. Uh, anything you want to say before you go Limbert thank for thank people thanks. for listening thanks for listening we'll see you next time yes we will um, if you want to listen or watch along feel free to go and in the like I say in the notes there'll be a link to it but try and find a copy of Generation X um, and watch that along with us and we should be back within a month yes hopefully <laughs> or want to be bit closer between episodes than last time um but thank you for joining us and uh until next time continue (laughs) mutating